Trying to grab all the groceries in one trip? Oof, not how you would have done that. You know sometimes less is more. Like when you drive less and save with the USAA annual mileage discount. USAA, get a quote today. Hi, this is Marissa Meyer. And this is Delaney. And this is Sloan. And you're listening to the Prince Kai Fan Pod. Hello, welcome to episode 77 of the Prince Kai Fan Pod, a Marissa Meyer Book Club podcast. This episode is brought to you by Rampy and Crew Patreon supporters. Thank you. My name is Bethany, and I will be your host for this evening. And today I have two brand new guests from the podcast of Slippers and Spindles. I almost said that backwards. So yeah, in- introduce yourselves, Drew and Cassie. Tell me all about your podcast and yourselves. Uh, Cassie, you want to go first? Sure. Uh, so my name is Cassie Greenlee. And I am a children's librarian by day and a children's theater director by night and a fairy tale enthusiast 100% of the time. And uh, yeah, we're of Slippers and Spindles. And honestly, Bethany, every time I have to introduce us, I'm terrified I'm going to say it backwards too. So one of these days I will. (laughs) (sighs) I've never said it backwards ever. Drew's like the only one that has this down pat. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's so funny. Well, hi. <laughs> My name is Drew Rothhair. I am the co-host of, of Slippers and Spindles. And uh, I've been working in the escape room industry for the last two and a half years. I went to school for theater. So I've kind of bounced around, worked at Disney for a little bit. You worked at Universal for a little bit but have kind of landed in the escape room. And like Cassie said, fairy tale enthusiast day and night, 24-7. Yes. That's yeah. why I love your podcast so much, because I am also a fairy tale enthusiast. Oh, <laughs> uh, thank you. Yeah, so our podcast is about, it's all about fairy tale adaptations. So each month we pick a fairy tale. And then, so like we started with Cinderella, and now we're in Sleeping Beauty. And then next will be, by the time this comes out, we'll be talking about Rapunzel. And so within that month, we talk about different adaptations each week. So it could be a different book or a musical or a movie, uh, always pertaining around that specific fairy tale. Rapunzel is my favorite. Oh, really? Looking forward to that one. Yes. Yeah, Rapunzel was kind of a come from behind. Uh, we put a poll in our Facebook group, and we were kind of expecting people to grab yeah, a Yeah, we didn't expect it. And instead, like, Rapunzel was like, nope, this is the one people want. We said, okay, sure. Uh, but, yeah, so we, we've talked about which uh, books and movies we're going to look at for the month. Um, and so we're gearing up for that, which is always very exciting. And then I'm also on a podcast called Shakespeare, where – me and my husband and two of our friends uh, get drunk and talk about Shakespeare's plays. <laughs> and so we've actually, we just finished working through his entire canon. So we've been going for about three years and we just wrapped up the last of his plays. So so now what are you going to do? Are you going to do like adaptations or? We're, we're revamping. So we're like taking a month to kind of, 
talk about what the future of that podcast is. And so we know when we come back in November, we're going to be looking at Charles Dickens' A Christmas Carol. So we're going to kind of branch out into some other classics. And we're also planning on doing like, let's do an episode where we compare all of Shakespeare's villains across the different plays. Oh, that's and cool. you know things like that. So, so yeah. So it's been Ooh. our first season, if you will, which lasted for three years and like <laughs> seven episodes. Um, was very much. Here's the play <laughs> we're talking about. In the first episode, we're going to give you a in-depth summary of the play, and the second episode, we're going to like break it down and talk about themes and talk about language and representation and and stuff like that. I mean, like. Uh, probably like 50% of the colloquialisms that we use in modern day language probably rooted in Shakespeare. So I totally see how that could be its own podcast. Yes. <laughs> yes. We could do one that's just on the language. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that one is, is out there wherever you find podcasts. Um, and it's part of a podcasting network called ghost light media that my husband runs. And he's also got several other, podcasts under that network um that are a lot of like D live play podcasts so anybody who likes dungeons and dragons can check that out too we're all just a bunch of nerds yep. <laughs> fairy tales shakespeare a christmas carol D. I mean, i'm you know. literally a librarian who likes to crochet and my name is bethany so i'm as old lady as you're gonna get for a 30 year old <laughs> <laughs> One of my favorite things is that when I got my bachelor's degree in library sciences, my husband bought me a present and it was uh, one of those chain necklaces for my glasses. So I can wear it around my neck. Beautiful. (laughs) Beautiful. That's adorable. Yeah, it was like one of my favorite presents. I was very excited about it. (laughs) So do you guys remember the first book you read by Marissa, how you found her books, what that whole experience was? You want to take this one first, Drew? Sure. I I remember Cinder coming out. I remember seeing it in the library and in Barnes & Noble. Um, but I was never a sci-fi kind of guy. So I, I knew... And in retrospect, of course, you know, I'm like, what was I thinking? Not picking that up. Uh, but I, I, I never, I didn't read them until about two years ago. I finally said, okay, enough is enough. I, I need to read the Lunar Chronicles. And so I, I picked up Cinder and read it in a week, which is pretty fast for me. And immediately went out and bought Scarlet and then immediately went out and bought Cress and just worked my way right through the whole series. Um, and my favorite book of Marissa Myers that I've read so far is Scarlet. I love the way that she has adapted the Little Red Riding Hood story. I think people do creative things with many, with all the different fairy tales, but I find that Little Red Riding Hood sometimes gets butchered a little bit and scenes get left out, but she found such creative ways to include nearly every element in the fairy tale. And I I think it's genius. I want to blow your mind real quick. Okay, I'm ready. So according to Marissa, Scarlet and Ran is the story of Little Red Riding Hood and Scarlet and Wolf Mm -hmm. is the story of Beauty and the Beast. 
Ooh. That's why there's the opera house with the candelabra and things like that. So Yeah, yeah. I mean Rand <laughs> definitely Rand definitely like takes on the role of the big bad wolf more yeah. than Wolf does. But um now I want to reread it to like look for that Beauty and the Beast story. Yeah, there's more. uh there's elements of it everywhere (laughs) yeah yeah i mean i think when you say it like naturally it makes sense just because of the characters of scarlet and wolf and wolf being beastly and all of that but i would love to now look at it again looking for the actual story there when you go as crazy in depth as i do (laughs) Mm -hmm. you might go on all kinds of things (laughs) yeah oh i'm excited to reread it now so, Cassie, do you remember the first book you read by Marissa and how you found her books? It was Cinder. Um, back in 2012, when Cinder came out, I was running a book blog that was doing a fairy tale adaptation project, very similar to our podcast. Um, every month, I said for a year, I was going to read 52 fairy tale adaptations. And so, for a year, every month, I picked a different fairy tale, and every week, I read a different adaptation of it and then wrote a review in-depth review of it. Um, and so for Cinderella, I knew that this book had come out and that I wanted to read it um, because it's a different genre of retelling than a lot of fairy tale retellings. And so I really wanted to grab onto that science fiction element just for something different. And so that's when I, I read it and I didn't realize at the time that it was the start of a series so I thought it was, as I was reading it, I thought it was just a standalone book. Obviously, as I got closer to the end, it becomes very obvious that the story is going to continue. But I was actually a little bit disappointed when I was reading along because I thought it was a standalone book um, when we found out that Cinder is Princess Celine, I went, oh, are you kidding me? I hate the super secret <laughs> princess trope. I'm so tired and cliche. I can't believe she's doing that. Um, but then, of course, finishing the book and realizing, okay, this is going to continue. I'll give her the benefit of the doubt. And then, of course, with every subsequent book, she really does take the time to explore it. So she doesn't just let it be that surprise, super secret princess. She actually like explores what it means and gives the depth to it. And so now I look back and go, no, this whole series is amazing and nearly perfect. And I love everything. And so... I was, I had to read it as it was coming out. So I would finish a book and then I would have like a year or two year wait for the next book. Ouch. Yeah. Yeah. So I remember. Since 2012, Marissa has released a book every October, November timeframe. Yeah. Wow. And sometimes in between as well. So she's very consistent. Yeah, so it wasn't as bad as, like, when I was reading Harry Potter, as Harry Potter was coming out, and you'd have to wait, like, three years for the next book. That jump between book mm-hmm. six and seven was, like, the longest oh. time period of our lives. Oh, my <laughs> gosh. It was brutal. But I do, I distinctly remember, I got the notification that winter was coming out. I was living in Virginia at the time with my husband, but we were planning on moving back to Ohio. We just didn't know what our time frame was. But we knew it was going to be around the time the book was coming out. And so... I said, well, you know, of course I'm going to buy this book immediately to, to read it. Like that's not in question, but I don't want to buy a physical copy if I don't know where we're going to be living because I don't want it to get like delayed in the mail. And so I ordered it on Kindle and then promptly forgot 
that I had done it. I woke up on, I think like that day in November to a notification of your book winter is now available for download. And it just happened to be a day that I didn't have to work. Wow. And so I literally got up at like eight o'clock in the morning and sat on the couch in my pajamas and read until I was finished with the book. Yes. Oh my gosh. And it is the last book that I've, it's the most recent book that I've done that for, where I've literally just sat and read it in basically one sitting. Yeah, I do that with a lot of books, especially if I've been waiting for them. But I remember when winter came out, I, I actually took two days off of work. Like I used PTO. <laughs> oh, I love that. Oh, so I could fantastic. read it. And I, my husband and I have been together oh. for 10 years. So at that point, I think we'd been together six years, but we know each other very well. So like when I told him it was coming out, he was like, all right, well, see you in two days. Like <laughs> <laughs> he was very great about it. Like he brought me, he would bring me breakfast and stuff sometimes, but like, he just knows the drill is this is what I'm doing right now. Yeah. My husband definitely left for work, did a full day at work, came back from work, looked at me and went, Have you moved <laughs> since I left eight hours ago? And me still reading on my Kindle. Nope, haven't. Don't talk to me uh, reading this book. Yeah. Winter is so good, too. So Winter good. is. Uh, I yeah. feel like even just reading Cress, like, there are certain chapters where it's like, how could you possibly stop reading after this chapter? Like, mm-hmm, right. Mm-hmm. You know, like she's really, really good about getting you super engaged in what's happening with one character. And then, Oh, now we're switching to somebody new. And so then it's like, well, I have to keep reading until I can get back to that character for that resolution. But by the time we get back to that character, there's now like three other character storylines that I need resolution for. So I just have to keep reading until I'm done. Yeah. And sometimes it takes forever to get back to the one you want. And by the time you get back to the one you want, you're like, no, I need to know what happens. Wait, I was really upset about that. Okay. Switch gears. Here we go. Uh, And that's definitely difficult when we're doing the podcast too, because sometimes it's like, you know, like, I think, I think it was last week or something. We left with a cliffhanger of Kai and I was like, you guys, we're not going to see him for like a month and a half. Yeah. <laughs> I oh only do a couple chapters per episode. <laughs> wow. Yeah. That would get complicated. Yeah. I have, I have a couple of people that read along with the podcast. Like they've never read the series before. So they read a couple chapters and then they listen every week with me. And I've definitely had, people email me that are like, I really want to read ahead, but I kind of like the habit I have of like read a chapter, listen to an episode. So they, wow. yeah, I could not stop myself from reading. <laughs> no, the patience that that would require. I can't even like watch along with a, like a TV show recap podcast. You know, I think a book would be even harder. Yeah. Yeah. Especially if you haven't read it before. Yeah, yeah. Wow. When I was in eighth grade, we read The Giver as part of my English class. And my English teacher, you know, we read the first couple chapters to discuss them in class. And she's like, no, I don't want anybody reading ahead. I want you to read and experience this as a class. And I like went home and finished the book that weekend. <laughs> I was like, no, I, I can't. I can't do that. Yeah, it's difficult to nah. do that. 
Yeah. And I have had a lot of people who've, who've said that it's like inspired or reread. And I think that makes sense, you know, that they, they start listening and then they're like, I don't remember that part. I don't remember that part. Then they go back and decide Mm -hmm. to kind of reread the entire series. And I've definitely felt motivated to do that when I listen to other podcasts too, because there's like, I don't know, 6 billion Harry Potter podcasts out there. Oh yeah. Well, and Marissa Meyer's books are just so rich. You know, the the world is just so well thought out and so developed and the characters are so engaging that like, I can totally see why people read and reread and reread these books. And some books are perfect for, for a reread because, you know, mm. like what we do with the Easter eggs, that's not something you're going to find in every book series. And that's what makes it good for a reread is now you get to go back and you get to look for all those little hints and clues. And when you're reading it the first time around, you're not looking for anything like that. You're just kind of enjoying the development of the story. Mm -hmm. Marissa is one of those few authors where most of the time I enjoy an author's work and I enjoy a series, but the more that they start to tell me about it, the less interested I become. Like I get to a point where I'm like, listen, just let me have this book series. Stop writing more about it, like move on to something else. Marissa is like the only author where I'm like, no, 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 please keep writing short stories. Please keep telling me everything about these characters. And there are books where I'm like, okay, you guys can stop now. Like I would be totally fine if someone deactivated JK Rowling's Twitter account. Uh, (laughs) Because I'm like, let it go. (laughs) Stop trying. Stop trying to pretend those books were inclusive. Just try better next time. Like just move on. (laughs) But I I totally get it. But Marissa has not reached that point, and I hope that she doesn't. Like, I and hope I don't she think never she reaches will. that point. Yeah, and she's very open about the books and talking about them. That's what I, I noticed doing episodes with her. Is she's just like, yeah, let's talk about it. I love these guys. Fantastic! Like, that's great. I love authors that love their characters, but not so much that they're like shoving it down my throat when I'm no longer like I. I don't like it when it feels like they're doing it just to stay relevant where they're like yeah. popping in to go, Hey, remember this super popular thing that I did? Like you want to know more about that? Don't you? It doesn't feel that way with Just kidding. You guys. <laughs> That's kind of how I feel about midnight sun, but <laughs> yeah, I've never read the twilight book. I cannot speak to it. Uh, uh. I read them kind of for my Besides from both of you. <laughs> well, okay. So I'm five years older and six years older than my younger sisters. So when they were in high school, I like had a job and an apartment and my own life and everything. And my dad was like, hey, your sister really wants to go see this movie for her birthday. I am not watching it. <laughs> But I'll pay if you take them to see it. I'll buy popcorn and everything. And I'm like, oh, okay, cool. Free movie. What is it? And he's like, it's Twilight. And I was like, oh, dad, come on. (laughs) I've heard so many bad things. And he was like, yeah, why do you think I'm not going to go watch the damn thing? So I went, I took my sisters. I watched it. I got done. I looked at my sister, Lindsay, and I was like, I have no idea what I just watched. (laughs) I I was like, I don't remember any character growth or development. I'm not entirely sure what the plot was other than, woo, vampires, like, and so she was like, just read the books and then get back to me. So I did. Um, and I, I think the books get a bad rep. I don't think they're as bad as everybody makes them out to be. But I, I'm not 
going to pretend that they're a literary masterpiece and they definitely have some problematic issues. My best friends in high school were obsessed with them and Mm -hmm. uh, they read Spindle's End for me in high school. So I felt like I needed to reciprocate and read something for them. Uh, So I read the first one, even though I hate vampires and like not even in just a, oh, they're so overdone kind of way. Because at that point, they weren't overdone. Twilight is what launched the YA publishing world into overdoing vampires. Yeah. Because, like, we grew up, well, I don't know your ages. I grew up with Buffy, which was amazing. Uh, And that was pretty much the only vampire thing in existence at the time. Yeah. And I'm I'm 32, so we're about the same age. Yeah. Um, So, but I, I hate vampires in that, like, they terrify me. Like, I'm scared of them. Um, which is completely irrational because they're not real, but it doesn't matter. I have like a thing about my neck, like nobody can touch my neck. Like I'm terrified of it's, it's a whole thing. So it's like, okay, I will read this book for you because I genuinely care about you as my friend and you really want me to. So I'm going to like put a turtleneck on and read this book. (laughs) Put a turtleneck on. You're so cute. (laughs) Thank you. And I got really caught up in the story for the first book. Like, I, it was really a page turner. I sat and read most of it in one sitting. But then when I was able to, like, I finished it, I went, no, nah, that wasn't, like, in hindsight, that wasn't actually that good. She's really good at pacing. She's really good at, like, uh-huh. building the anticipation. But when I'm actually able to, like, sit and look back on what I just experienced, it's not actually that well put together. And I tried to read new moon and i got like a few chapters into it i think i got to the point where bella has like a photograph of her and edward and she like folds herself out of it so that she doesn't have to look at how hideous she is next to his perfection i got to that point and i went nah i'm out i'm yeah, out there's, there's definitely some problematic issues with this series I, I do think it's an incredibly quick and easy read um you know but uh, I, I, I think it's just one of those things where it's like, if I'm in the mood for something that I don't care about being invested in, that's what Twilight is good for. And I, I'm sure there's people listening to me that are like, you know, Bethany, we hate Twilight, shut up. But <laughs> I I think it's not as bad as people make it out to be. But the main component is that it's problematic. There's a lot of... um issues in terms of like obsessive love and insecurities that are not well developed. Uh, There's a bunch of stuff in there about depression that I don't think is handled very well. So just, you know, lots, lots of stuff. And if you want, if if anyone listening wants to know more about Twilight, there is a Twilight podcast called Remember Twilight, and they think it's the greatest masterpiece in the world. So if you want a really positive outlook on it i highly encourage you to listen to that uh and i and my sister Lindsay thinks that's the greatest series in the world and she's probably listening so i promise Lindsay, i will i will stop talking now um (laughs) actually i think i think lunar chronicles has now surpassed it because now she's read the lunar chronicles so i was just i was gonna say is twilight is obviously do you think it's still the most popular ya series is it? I don't think it is anymore, but there was definitely a time I don't think so either. when it was. I think the main thing with Twilight is people realize how problematic it is in hindsight. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So do you think the Lunar Chronicles is number one? That would make me happy. I'm going to Google it. 
Oh my god, you guys! I just googled it, and Lunar Chronicles was the first one that popped up. Yeah. It- so yeah, I, it goes Lunar Chronicles, Mortar Instruments, Mortar, Warshole oh. Instruments, Harry Potter, Throne of Glass, yeah. Hunger Games, The Raven Cycle, the Iron Fay series. Yeah, Holly And Black. the Remnant Chronicles. Those are like the top 10. So, yeah, I was going to say Hunger Games would be my other guess for, for like number one. But I, Lunar Chronicles is very popular. I'm not surprised that it would be the number one on a search. I mean, literally, there's an entire podcast about not to like toot my own horn or anything, but like, <laughs> like you cannot create and support and develop a podcast and community around something that isn't well known and popular and has a. Mm-hmm. Um, and and so I mean, I have like almost two thousand followers on Instagram. I've got thirty Patreon members. I mm-hmm. just hit six like fifteen thousand downloads uh, a couple weeks ago. Like that means that there's. Oh, I saw that. Congrats. That's amazing. That means that there's like an entire following around this podcast, just the podcast. Like there are people that love this series that don't even know the podcast exists, but I don't think that a podcast about these books would be successful if there wasn't a fandom to tap into in the first place. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, basing it purely on my library, I'm from a relatively small-ish town. um, And we have, I think three copies of each of the books in this series and at least one of them is almost always checked out which is kind of how I base Mm -hmm. the popularity I think probably my patrons Percy Jackson's a little bit more popular than uh Lunar Chronicles in that that's what I get asked about more often is for the Percy Jackson books interesting um but Lunar Chronicles is up there and that may be skewed slightly because anytime Somebody's like, recommend a book to me. I'm like, here, let me put this one in your hands. Uh, (laughs) Constantly. Absolutely constantly. I also think that Lunar Chronicles is a movie adaptation or TV show adaptation away from being just absolutely huge. Oh, give me a TV show. Give me a TV show, please. Dying for it. All hoping for it. Did you see the poll? I'm I sure did, you saw yeah. the poll. Yeah. <laughs> I'm very excited about it. I, we had a whole Patreon. I was sending it to everyone. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, yeah. We we had a whole Patreon meeting just about that poll. <laughs> did you did you vote live action or animated? I vote live action. My husband wants animated. Me too. Um because he thinks that with all the glamoring, and I don't disagree with him, um, he thinks mm. that with all the glamoring to do it justice, they need like a huge uh, CGI budget if they're going to do live action. So obviously mm. the easier thing to do would be animated. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's uh, an interesting argument that I th- didn't think of. Um, I just, I wanted to see live action. <laughs> I want to see it in live action. I think it'd be interesting though, to do uh, what they did for uh, the movie adaptation of the David Levithan book. Um Oh my gosh, I'm so blanking on the title. There's a David Levithan book where the main character wakes up in a different body every day. Oh. Oh. Um, every day. It's like, it's called Every Day, right? Another day. I think it is called Every Day. Yeah. 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 Um, and they did a movie of that, fun fact, because it felt, flew completely under the radar. Um, but they did a movie of that where they just <laughs> had it. like 18 different actors playing that character, which I thought uh-huh. was really interesting. 
I mean, Lavana's got her one look that she doesn't really change throughout yeah. most of the series. But if they did like a TV show and they did like a flashback for Ferris. Yeah. Well, well, I will say this. Marissa has said her fan casting for Lavana is Rachel McAdams. And she is aging very well. I think it would almost be pretty easy to do a flashback with her. And oh my gosh, she would be amazing. Yeah, Yeah, that would that would be incredible. And you know, not to go back to Harry Potter, but the last Harry Potter movie where they had different actors that were playing Harry Potter, uh, Hermione and Ron when they were walking around the Ministry of Magic. They yeah. did an incredible mm-hmm. job of still looking like those characters, even yeah, though they, they were sound actors. So really good lookalike actors. Yeah, and they had like really good facial expressions and mannerisms. Like they were very capable of portraying that person without looking like that person. So as long as they find uh, talented enough actors, or or as long as they find actors that are are capable of being trained enough to take on that kind of role, I think it'll be fine. Um, my main thing, and I know my, my listeners are used to me saying this is like, I love the representation we get in these books mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and Hollywood has a tendency to whitewash and skinny wash. Oh, and yeah. that is what I'm worried about. And I that, can't say anything I about like be... future characters, but like, I would say like at least 70% of the fan art I see for Scarlet, for example, she's very thin. Right. And as a thick yeah. girl, I don't, <laughs> I want I want my thick girl. I want the girl from the books. So like that alone makes me a little cautious of what they'll do in terms of like finding the right actors and actresses to play. Yeah. I would really want it to be a situation where Marissa is able to be involved in the process and get listened to and respected. Um, Yeah. If they whitewashed these characters, I would be infuriated because I think uh, I'm a huge advocate. I talk about it quite a bit that representation matters it's so so important and these books just do it effortless effortless i can't say the word who am i michael scott um (laughs) and i'm sure it's not without effort you know she's put a lot of care into it and and a lot of um you know it's done so deliberately and it's done perfectly and so well and it would be so devastating if they whitewashed yeah. The, the characters. Oh, I'd be so upset. I'd be so mad about it. And I'm like heated thinking about it. <laughs> and I mean, it's not something that's new, right? Like they do that in movies. They do that in TV shows. Um, you know, yeah. per- personally, I read Harry Potter the first time when I was seven. So I always mm-hmm. pictured Hermione as a mixed girl because of the way she was described reminded me of the girl that lived across the street from me. But my sister Ivy was nine and I have really bushy, curly brown hair. So when she read the books, she pictured someone who looked like me. And then of course, like when they, we create, when they created the the films, they hired Emma Watson, um, who I Mm -hmm. think did a wonderful job of portraying her, but it was a little bit of a a gear change for me when I finally started watching the movies. Cause it was like, Oh, the image I had is a little bit swayed now. Yeah, I love the fan art depictions that have grown over the years, depicting especially Hermione as black and Harry as a person of color as well. Sometimes mm-hmm. he's 
depicted as Indian and I've seen him depicted as black or mixed as well. And I, I love it. Yeah, I, I think it's incredible, but that, you know, it's super important to always remember that that representation is not in the books, you know, it's not something that JK Rowling contributed in really yeah, in any and that's way. Probably you know? why I hate her Twitter account so much because, and my mm. listeners have heard this before and my former co-host Becca and I have talked about it before, but like, we feel like she uses that Twitter account to, to backtrack and be like, no, I did all this representation, but there's no evidence yeah. of it in the text. And so, you know, the smart and an honest thing to do would be to be like, Hey, I really should have been more inclusive. I'm sorry that I wasn't in my future writing. I'm going to try to, to combat that. Yes. And instead I feel like she's just constantly backtracking like, well, that character could have been black. Well, you didn't describe it that way. Yeah, so. but you didn't put it in. Yeah. And so you have to, put yeah. it in. and I will say the one positive thing that I will say about cursed child, it is the only positive thing I will say about cursed child. It is the <laughs> only positive thing I have to say about cursed child is that they are consistently casting Hermione as a black actor. Yeah. And their child is just kind of a mess. Uh, <laughs> oh, it is such We a can mess. do a whole podcast just on that. And I can already oh hear my, my husband gosh. saying, but you haven't actually read it. I don't need to. I know enough you about it. You don't need to. It is a mess. I read Ugh. it. I will tell you right now, you are not missing anything. <laughs> I read the first no. half of the first act, and I know all of the plot points that happen afterwards because of the internet. And I just kind of refuse to read any more of it. Yeah, yeah. no, don't waste and your it's, time. It's like a huge, I try not to be pedantic at my job when children come in and ask for books. Like, I don't want to correct you. When well, you're, also, like, like as a librarian, we're not allowed correct. to have opinions. So it's exactly. hard not to, to do but that anyways. I can't. I can't help myself when somebody comes in and is like, do you have the eight Harry Potter book? And I'm like, well, there isn't an eight Harry mm. Potter book. I think what you're looking for is Harry Potter and the Cursed Child, which is a script of the play, but it's not directly a sequel and it's not a novel in its own right. There you go. I can't help it. I have to, I have to well, correct but that. It's, I think that's fair because if they go into it thinking they're getting the eighth Harry Potter book, first of all, you're going to be very disappointed in the story and the magic and all of that. But also it's just not a book. It's a script. And yeah. so like you, you need to be prepared that you're, you're reading a very different style of and writing. And I run into that with the screenplays for Fantastic Beasts too, is I give them to people and mm. they like come back a few minutes later and they're like, I want the book. And I said, there is no book. This is what there is. And I have to say like, being like this isn't the eighth Harry Potter book. This is what it. That is a very librarian thing to do. It's we true. get very, <laughs> we get very <laughs> meticulous. Like I've had people before. Um, my friend Ashley, who used to be a co-host, was at one point she and I were talking about uh, cataloging because I was taking this um, archival cataloging class, and she was like, "Isn't Twilight a romance?" And I was like, "Well, technically it's YA, but technically," and she was like, "No, no, 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 no. I'm sorry, I asked." <laughs> <laughs> technically it's YA but YA isn't really a genre it's an age group and librarians are trying to steer away from that and she's just like I'm, I don't, I'm sorry I asked I don't want to talk about that <laughs> and I, I, I have successfully avoided being pedantic at other aspects of my job we talked about this when, on our podcast when we were talking about Cinderella and I had this lady call in and she was looking for Cinderella picture books and I asked her, you know, there's lots of multicultural Cinderella's. Would you like me to throw in some of those? And she goes, no, I'm really only interested in the original Cinderella. 
And I like hung up the phone and I turned to my coworker and I went, well, actually the original <laughs> Cinderella doesn't exist. Uh, yeah. The original one was, was it Egyptian? Egyptian and, and Greek Rodapis. Yeah. So let me yeah. slip that one into your pile. But I was like, no, I'm not going to be petty about it. It's fine. <laughs> I think as li- librarians, it's difficult to, that's, that's one of the main aspects of our job is like, don't, you don't get to have an opinion. And I've definitely had conversations with librarians before where I'm like, you are entitled to that opinion when you are not at work. But right now, put that book back on the shelf and mm. and keep your opinion to yourself. Um, and the only reason I say that is because I've met librarians that are like, we shouldn't have this book. And it's like, it's not up to you if we have that yeah, book. Exactly. Exactly. You know? And that's the hardest part of the job, I think. But if you have to bite your tongue, you have to bite your tongue. That's just how it is. And if you can't, well, you might want to look at a different profession. Yeah. You know? And it's like so, if people as a non-librarian, <laughs> I I've never thought about that before. You know, like uh, obviously you see books in the library, or even in like Barnes and Noble or something, or any you know a small bookstore. Maybe maybe they have a different set of rules. You know, um, and you see those books, and you're just like, what? You don't need to have that out. I I don't want to see that. But it's super important that you know all points of view are available to us because remind people is that like just because that point of view might seem like something you're not interested in keep in mind that it might not be used for that maybe somebody who's doing it to to write a research paper and to expose those kinds of of you know disinterested topics in the world and that's what i always tell people because you know i have um a friend who works at a a Christian school library and she won't even bother with Harry Potter because it's just too challenging. She doesn't even want to bother. She's like, I'm just not going to have it Mm. in the library. It's too easy for people to be like, get rid of it. And then I have to defend it. And so I'm just not going to have it. And I'm like, okay, but there's 600 students at your school and they have, according to the American library association bill of rights, the students have the right to that book. And the whole reason that you're not doing it is because it may or may not be controversial, not because your school has actually told you that you can't have it. But, you know, she's an art teacher who now works as a librarian. She's not someone who has a librarian background or degree. So a lot of that stuff, she's like, there's a Bill of Rights. Like, yeah, it's the double edged Mm. sort of the censorship debate, because like we always do like banned book weeks, look at these books that have been challenged and you should read them because they're good. But on the other side of that coin is if I'm going to put, you know, Harry Potter out on that display, I've also got to put a book that I might have a problem with out on that display too. Because if I'm not going to censor, if I'm going to get mad at you for censoring this book, I can't then turn around and censor that book. Yeah. And And that's why I always tell people, like, if you're a librarian, you know, or if you want to be a librarian, the very first thing you need to do is get comfortable with the fact that you don't have an opinion anymore. And if people ask me, like if they ask me specifically, like, can I get a book recommendation from you? I will go, yes, yes, yes. I love this book and this book and this book. And if they ask me my opinion on a book that I don't like, it's again, it's like a, an interesting path to walk in the answer. Because I yeah. can say things like, well, it's not my favorite, but I think that this group of people would really enjoy that book. And this is what it does well. It's not one of my go-tos, but 
by all means, but, take it home, but check this it out. That's why other people have liked it or checked exactly. it out. And not really the only way you can handle that when someone wants your specific opinion. Like with Twilight, you could be like, well, I, you know, I'm not the hugest fan of it, but it is a really quick and easy read. It has a big fandom and people really seem to like the love story. Yeah. So, hmm. you know, it's 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 a fine line to walk and it's difficult. And everyone listening who's tired of us, I'm sorry. <laughs> I have I have other librarians on all the time and we go on librarian tangents, so <laughs> Well good. Just upholding the tradition then. Absolutely. Um, but we can we can steer into what we're meant to be talking about. Yes. Yeah, so the technically the next question is what are you reading at the moment? Which um I'm still mm. reading the Princess Diaries. I just started the fifth one this morning. This is their 16, so it'll be a while. <laughs> but what are you guys currently reading, either for the podcast or outside the podcast? Cassie, you go first. Oh, geez. Um, <laughs> I'm kind of in between right now because I just finished reading the Sleeping Beauty stories that we just finished talking. So I just finished reading Wendy Masses, the one with the one who took the really long nap. And I'm going to be starting our Rapunzel books here in a second. Um, Mm -hmm. but I'm, am I actively reading anything right now? I just finished a bunch of stuff. I'm technically in the middle of Allie Broche's new book, um, Solutions and Other Problems. And if you're not familiar with Allie Broche, she runs a website, a webcomic called Hyperbole and a Half, um, where she does like MS paint art, but it's really evocative and she just kind of talks about her life, which is absolutely wild and the things that she's gone through are absolutely wild and she's got all these struggles with depression um and she had an unusual childhood but the stories she tells are so funny and the the way that she like talks about her life is so funny and she's one of the only authors i've read who can in alternate chapters have me crying because i'm laughing so hard and then in the next chapter, have me crying because I'm like so overwhelmed with sadness and emotion about the things that she's gone through. Um, mm. She's And so she, her stuff's really, really good. She's got two books now. Her first one is called Hyperbole and a Half. And the one that just came out is called Solutions and Other Problems. Um, so that's what I'm technically in the middle of. And then I'm about to start a whole bunch of Rapunzel novels for our podcast. Yeah. Can I ask real quick, and then I'll let Drew talk, and I'm sorry to interrupt. Are oh, no, you doing Untangled for Rapunzel? We are not. <gasps> okay, I love that book. Wait, wait, you said Untangled? Yeah. No, no, we're not. Well, it's a good one. <laughs> okay, we'll add it to the list, because we're probably going to like cycle back to fairy tales. Like We're probably yeah. going to do most fairy tales more than once. I mean, there's so many out there. I don't I know. know how you couldn't, right? <laughs> oh, is, it, is it Rapunzel Untangled? Is that yeah. what it's called? Cindy Bennett, right? Yeah. Yeah, it's by Cindy yeah. Bennett. And it's adorable. And I love it so much. Yes. Um, Rapunzel is my sister's favorite fairy tale. Um, yes. yes, she loves it. So um, I think I gave her that book for Christmas one year and she had already owned it. Um, so I have not read it, but... Um, it's one I'm definitely interested in. It's a good one. Um, and then, of course, Tower yeah. Ring by Alex Flynn is also a good one. I've read Tower yes, Ring. Yeah, Tower Ring uh, is no. interesting. 
Towering is very different. Yeah. But I liked that it was a modern retelling of Rapunzel because you don't see those. No, you don't. Like and it's all. very modern yeah. and it's very, um, to not give away plot, just it is interesting. There's a lot of parts where it's like, oh, that's different. Okay. Hmm. <laughs> Drew, what are you currently reading? Since I rudely interrupted you and I'm very sorry. Oh, no, no. How dare you interrupt me on your <laughs> podcast? Um, I'm reading two books right now. So one is one of our Rapunzel books. I'm just going to give it a shout out because this author is amazing. And Cassie and I talk about her all the time and she deserves more recognition. So anywhere I can, I name drop yeah. her to introduce more people Please to her. Yeah. And Yes, uh, Cassie already knows who I'm talking about. Her name is Megan Morrison, and she's written – there's three books in this series that's called the Time series, T-Y-M-E. Time is the name of the land that these characters exist in. And so we're going to be talking about the first of these three books, which is called Grounded, The Adventures of Rapunzel. And so this book, it inter- it interweaves Rapunzel with Jack and the Beanstalk, and then – the second book is called Disenchanted and it's about Cinderella. And then the third book is called um, Transformed. Transformed. Yeah. And it's about the frog prince and the books. They're just, they're genius, right? Cassie? They're so good. <laughs> they're, they're-, they're supposed to be six of them, except that the publishing company that did the first three then decided they didn't want to do the rest of the series. They didn't I'm pick so up the other three and were devastated. So, like, literally, honestly, the whole reason we started our podcast, like, the end goal for us is to get <laughs> to get the other three books published. Series that Scholastic changes its mind and publishes the last three. Yes, I totally agree. That would be devastating. Have you have you heard of? I have not Megan even Morrison? heard of them. Or her. Yeah. I'm literally I on bet my, you would like I literally them. just picked up my phone and put it on my Goodreads app. <laughs> yeah. No, they're so good. And the covers are gorgeous. They're they're so consistent. There's this really consistent like pattern of like a giant letter and a circle. It's just uh and the characters are depicted on the front. But um the way that she interweaves the fairy tales, because the other two books have other fairy tales brought in as well, but they're kind of surprises. They're, whereas you know that Jack and the Beanstalk is there with Rapunzel the whole time. So I don't want to give away the other fairy tales that pop up. Um, but the world that she's created, there's representation there just kind of uh, just like the Lunar Chronicles um, in terms of like ethnicity and race and diversity and um the issues that she talks on, the concept is kind of like she starts with the fairy tale and then goes off in wild directions that you don't expect with them. So it's kind of like the seeds of the very, the seeds of the fairy tales are there to start with. Um, but then the story is going to go in a direction that you never, ever expect. So um, that's one of the books I'm reading. I'm also currently reading because we're kind of between uh, Sleeping Beauty and Rapunzel. I'm reading a Rumpelstiltskin retelling called The Lady Alchemist by Samantha Vitale. I think is how you say her last name. It looks Italian to me. So, um, But that's a really cool book that incorporates Rumpelstiltskin with the magic of alchemy. That is really interesting. And I would say mm-hmm. too, like for you guys, if you haven't heard of her or read her before, K.M. Shea does fairy tale adaptations that are really good. Her name popped up when I was doing the summer reading program for my library this past summer was Fairy Tales. 
And so I put together this, like, as comprehensive as I could possibly make it, master list of every single YA and middle grade fairy tale adaptation that had been written. I would say it's closer to middle grade. Yeah. It's kind of on the same reading level as, like, Ella Enchanted. Yeah, her name kept popping up, but her books are mostly electronic. Yeah. And so that becomes stickier for libraries to get a hold of because of absolutely lots of library and there's politics no audio you won't either. get into. Um, but I do want to read. What was that. her last name? Shay S H E A. And if you do have a Kindle, they're all available on Kindle Unlimited. Yes. Oh, okay. I've seen these. Yeah, yes, but there I enjoy those books a lot. Um, I still have two left in that series to read. Um. But the the second one she did is on Wild Swans, which I think is a very mm. underrated fairy Agreed. tale. Agreed. Um, we were just talking about the Wild Swans, like off the podcast the other day. Yeah, it's it's there's a lot of fairy tales that people have never even heard of that don't get enough um, attention or or retellings because there are the popular ones like like Rapunzel uh, and Cinderella mm-hmm. and Snow White and Beauty and the Beast and and all of those, but there are underrated ones too. And I think that her particular series does a lot of some of the underrated ones like Rumpelstiltskin and the wild swans um, and things like that. Yeah, that's cool. We, we are starting with the more popular fairy tales. Um, yeah. You got to have somebody who can listen. <laughs> right. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. If we start with wild swans, we, we're not going to have enough listeners to get right. to Cinderella. So uh, we're starting with Cinderella so we can eventually get to Wild yeah. Swan. And hopefully by then you'll have enough, a yeah. big enough listener base that people will go and read those books just because they know they're coming up on the podcast. Yeah, That's we've already had people who are listening and watching along with the books and movies that we're watching, which is so That's much fun. Awesome. Yeah, luckily you guys have all done stuff that I've read or watched before. So I haven't Mm -hmm. haven't had to yet, but I'm sure it's going to come up where it's like, I don't know that one. (laughs) So now that we've spent um, forever talking about not the podcast. (laughs) Right. No, my (laughs) listeners are totally used to this. Uh, This is why if you go to the description page of all my episodes, it says chapter discussion starts at. Because one of my Patreon members is like, hey, yeah, tangents are cute. When are you going to get to the actual topic? So I always put that in there for her specifically. <laughs> yeah, my Shakespeare podcast, um, I'm kind of the the stick in the mud who's like constantly wrenching us back on topic uh, because it's like, okay, great. I love that we've spent 12 minutes talking about Star Wars and poop about your children, but let's like get back to please talking about, you know, Hamlet if we could. Um, And so I I listened to a few of your episodes and I'm like, okay, you're going to have to turn off that part of your brain because this isn't your podcast. (laughs) Yeah. Ours, we, we ramble for the first like a couple minutes, but we get to the point pretty quickly, but it's nice to, to chat. Yeah. When you're working with new people, it's good to, to get those tangents in the beginning so you can get to know them a little bit so that their perspective has a a bit more of an impact. Um, So Mm -hmm. first let's get your perspective on Fan Art Friday. This oh, yes. first one is by Nuestro Espacio. It's from November 6th, and it is Cinder in her workshop. And I love it because it's just like a stencil outline. There's no color. It's literally just black and white, and it's not even shaded all that much. Yeah, it's 
It's very sweet. Cinder looks very melancholic. Yeah, she's a little bit curvier than I picture in my head, but mm, she definitely mm. does. Melancholic is a good word for it. It looks yeah. It looks almost exactly how I picture her little, like, um, her space in the market, the garage door and everything. Yeah. I love the foot on the counter in the background. Oh, I didn't even notice the foot. Oh. Yeah, it's just such like a little detail. I heard the foot's there, and then there's like a whole shelf of like tools and equipment. And- yeah, yeah, I was looking at the shelf and I missed the foot. Yeah. And there's even like a, a hint of a chair. Yes, yeah. That looks like the chair I'm sitting on right now. It kind of looks like the chair I'm sitting on too, because I'm at my <laughs> I'm at my desk in my office, and that's the kind of chair I have. Doesn't look like my chair at all because my desk is an antique watchmaker's desk that was my grandfather's. Oh wow! Which is like super cool, but that means it's a much higher desk than most regular desks. And so there was a chair that went with it that was supposed to like lift up. I also have that chair, but it's it's more broken than the desk is. <laughs> so I had to go buy like a bar stool to be tall enough to actually use my oh, desk. Oh my gosh. I have the opposite problem. I'm really short. So right now my feet are dangling about six inches off the ground. <laughs> <laughs> I also, I love Cinder's cargo pants. I think that's yes! so appropriate for her. Mm-hmm. The cargo pants, the glove. Yeah. 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 The gloves, of course. Yeah. I, I wish it, there were hints of the grease that we're always told is all over her. But I also kind of like the simplicity of the, the mm-hmm. picture itself, too. Mm-hmm. So big thank you for sharing that with us. And then this next one is from Nate Raid Creates and it's Scarlet looking sassy as all hell. And I love it. Oh, yeah. So sassy. I I love love this. This is fantastic. Yeah. Like the big hair, the like so clear attitude in the face. Yeah. As I was looking at this, it just makes me think of how incredibly visual the world of the Lunar Chronicles is. When you see fan art for, let's just take Scarlet, it's so consistent. You know, we we see her and we recognize her immediately every single time. And it's the same with like Winter and Cress and Cinder. And uh, it's so good. I love this art. She's gorgeous. I love her freckles. I know. I love the freckles too. Because I have freckles and then my husband's a ginger. So I have like a soft spot for freckles. Oh. <laughs> um, I've literally never met anyone in my whole life who has as many freckles as him. It's insane. Uh, I just have the like the the angel wings, the ones that are like only under your eyes and across your nose. But mm-hmm. um, I love the inclusion of the freckles because she is, she does have freckles. And sometimes I see it where it's just the red hair and I'm like, no, she has freckles too. Put those on there. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but the hair is curly and I have curly hair. So I appreciate that too. The only thing I was going to say is that her eyes are ginormous and I love that too. Yeah. She looks like uh, the Disney version of Scarlet. Yeah. Which means Becca, the librarian, one of my listeners is probably really happy right now because she loves like she said, she visualizes everything in her life under a Disney microscope. So, hey, Becca. Oh, that's cool. <laughs> so big thank you for sharing that with us. And you can look up more of their artwork on Instagram as well. Uh, last week, Patreon members voted for chapter titles for chapter 23. It is Chasing Cars by Snow Patrol and chapter 20. Bleh. 
Chapter 24 is Oh, What a World by Casey Musgraves. And now we're actually going to talk about the chapters. (laughs) Oh, yes. (laughs) Sorry, listeners. But not too sorry, because I get emails all the time about tangents, so that's fine. (laughs) Tangents are fine. Half of podcasts are tangents. I did one episode where I was, we were very strict. We didn't do any tangents at all. And I cut out any tangents were there. And we got like 50 emails of like, that episode was so boring. Where's all our fun tangents? Bethany didn't talk about food once. (laughs) (laughs) Because my thing is that I'm always hungry. So I'm always talking about food. Yes. (laughs) So anyways. (laughs) Chapter 25, last week we left off with Cress passing out from heat exhaustion, poor thing. Mm-hmm. And this week we're in Cinder's perspective. The last time we saw her, she was explaining herself to Dr. Erland, who was like, dude, where the f*** have you been? <laughs> She's shopping with Jacin. I think I put in my notes that I'd rather go shopping with Aiko, but that's just me. Yes. <laughs> I can see that. Yeah, I think Aiko would be a lot of fun to go shopping with. I think she would help me find clothes that are flattering. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Jason, or that's how I, I say his name, Jason. That's how Marissa says it, too. I just, <laughs> as I told that's Marissa, <laughs> it was Jason <laughs> in my head for three years. And then I listened to the audiobooks and I was like, who's Jason? <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> I can't change it now. <laughs> uh, but it sounds like going shopping with him would be similar to going clothes shopping with my husband or me i i'm terrible at shopping oh i love going clothes shopping with my husband he always picks the cutest stuff oh really that's so sweet yeah like half of the dresses that i get compliments on it's like my husband (laughs) found that one (laughs) my husband wants to get done with clothes shopping as quickly as possible he goes in grabs the stuff he wants doesn't try it on just like buys it and leaves yeah, my husband um, has 10 of the exact same shirt in different colors and the same with like bottoms. But like if I go shopping for myself, I'm like, what about this? You know, like I get all excited and he'll be like, this one's pretty, buy it. Wow. <laughs> I mean, that's great too. It works for us. Uh, <laughs> there definitely been a few times where I'm like, yeah, that's not pretty and I'm not wearing it. <laughs> I will say I, I do at least try things on uh, to my credit. But I hate it. <laughs> I think I have to try things on because otherwise, like, it might not fit or oh, yeah. it might yeah. not be flattering. Like, I don't have one of those body types where it's like, I can just wear anything. Like, there's definitely clothing I shouldn't be wearing. So I kind of have to try it on. <laughs> yeah, I'm exactly the same way. But yeah, so going shopping with Jason in this tiny little, like, random assortment of things kind of shop. It kind of sounds like there's a little bit of everything there. Now, see, I grew up in a really small town, uh, so I Mm. can picture this shop very clearly because it literally has just like a tiny bit of everything Mm -hmm. so that you don't have Mm -hmm. to drive 45 minutes. Mm -hmm. We both grew up in small towns as well. So, yeah. 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 See, you get it. Like. Uh, there's that one store in every small town where it's like you can buy a t-shirt or microwave popcorn or a microwave who knows what you'll My find like town was small enough that we didn't even have yeah. that oh yeah we had like a feed store yep <laughs> and that was that was it so it was like a farming community we had a diner yep. and we had a feed store 
So the town I I grew up in when I was younger had 7,000 people in it. Um, And then we moved to a town called Argenta, uh, which had 250 (gasps) people in it. It had a bar, a post office, and a Casey's gas station. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) Hayesville is 350. Yep. Yep. And so that's, and, and those were both farming communities. Like the yeah. town that my husband and I grew up in Clinton, Illinois, the 7,000, that is a big town where we're from. Okay. Everything around it is like 200 people or less. That's the, that's where you go when you need to go grocery shopping and you don't want to drive 45 minutes. Yeah. I came up to college in Bowling Green, Ohio and people would be like, Oh yeah, Bowling Green's such a nice small town. And I'm like, what are you talking about? There's 17,000 people here. Right. Like literally <laughs> like that's not a small town. My town is small. We had 350. We, uh, we got stationed in Nebraska a few years ago and everyone told us it was a small town and we got there and my husband and I were like, okay, it has a target and a Walmart. This is not a so small town. My, my small town <laughs> does not sound small at all compared to your small towns. Uh, but I was surrounded with small towns. So I'm very familiar with like all my friends were from like small town areas around my town. And I feel like that's the kind of community this is. And I think that's sweet. Like one of the things I loved about growing up in a small town is like everybody knows Mm -hmm. everybody. Oh my gosh. Not necessarily in a bad way. Yeah. When I moved to Orlando, I was so confused, not confused, but it was just a weird experience to go to a grocery store and not see anyone that I recognized. Yeah. It's a bit of a culture shock. Yeah. Like I, I, that was just something I was accustomed to. You go to the store, you're going to see someone and say, hi. Yeah. It's just part of it. My husband and I, my husband's in the military, so we move every few years. And my husband and I like to call our Mm -hmm. hometown a a time capsule because we go home and everything's the same. (laughs) Uh, That's nice though. It's a very comforting place. The, The big thing that's different now is that the Casey's gas station got a remodel. Now I do miss Casey's Casey's is if anybody in the Midwest knows that Casey's is like your number one shop, you can get gas, you can get donuts, you can get pizza, you can get alcohol, you can get milk. Like (laughs) that's what this story is that they're in right now. The Casey's of their neighborhood. (laughs) That's what the story is. So they're in there for a list of like stuff. Dr. Erlon sent her on an errand and was like, Hey, Thanks for not showing up for three months. Now go run my errands for me. <laughs> well, I think she's getting stuff for Wolf, isn't yes. she? Yes. Wow. But I like to think that Dr. Erland was bossy about it. <laughs> he certainly was. Like, evidence tells us that much. Yeah. But I love that everything is written in a language she doesn't know. But if she stares at it long enough, her brain will automatically translate it. Which yes. I think is amazing. Can you imagine? That's so cool. Uh, I'm trying to learn Spanish right now, and it's very difficult. And according <laughs> to my Cuban neighbor, I am not doing well. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, just just get a computer implanted into your brain, and I know it would be so much easier. He's so funny. His name's Jose and he's the kindest man. And I was talking to him the other day and I don't know how we got on the subject, but I told him I was learning Spanish and he was like, oh, cool. Try it. Try your Spanish. And I started talking. He was like, man, now I know what people say when they say my English is bad. And I was like, oh, that's so cool. Oh, oh my God. <laughs> I, uh, 
I was at work the other day and um, one of my coworkers, her, her mother is uh, speaks fluent Spanish. And so we were trying to figure out how to say something. And I took Spanish in high school so I can like piece it together, but it's going to be broken and like, it's not going to be a full sentence, but I'm going to get my yep. idea. <laughs> oh, so I just remember what I was trying to say. It was because the, the mall I was working in, they had closed the bathrooms down and um, I had sent my coworker to go. She needed to go use the restroom, but they wouldn't let her in because they closed them down. And so I was trying to tell her how to say, like, I work for three more hours, so I need to use the bathroom. And <laughs> she did not believe that I had, like, said it in Spanish. And so she FaceTimed her mom while we were working and was like, listen to him say this and tell me if it's accurate. And her mom was like, it, it wasn't a full sentence, but if you had said that to me, I would have understood what you were trying to do. And I was like, yeah. so proud of myself. That I had, I had accomplished. Yeah, you got the gist yeah. across, but you're not impressing anybody. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but I think it's really cool that her brain automatically translates everything for her. I think that would be ridiculously so convenient especially yeah. if you're just so happen to be in africa but nobody is working there they have to go in and and say hello <laughs> and this woman comes out and she is just in awe of cinder just yeah. absolutely like oh my god cinder's in my store you guys celebrity sighting which i think is really cute yeah what a strange experience as as you know, a sixteen-year-old girl who, you know, two or three weeks ago was unknown to the world, and now you're known as a fugitive, and this person treats her like, you know, she's, I don't know, Angelina Jolie. Like, just the idea of like being recognized is yeah a surreal experience. Yeah. I've talked about it before, but I went to the North Texas Teen Book Festival last year. That's oh, where yeah. I met Marissa for the first time. And I was all excited. The podcast was only like six months old at that point. I was all excited because I was going to network and I was going to be like, hey, listen to my podcast. And I, I have these cute little business cards with like my logo uh, and like information about where people could find the podcast. And I had people coming up to me that recognized me because I had That's a so t-shirt cool. that said like Prince Kai Fan Pod on it. Um, and I had, I mean, I had someone come up to me multiple times be like, I didn't know they were selling Prince Kai Fan Pod t-shirts, where can I buy one? And I'm like, well, I made this because I am Prince Kai Fan Pod. Like, <laughs> so it's a very surreal experience. And yeah. I honestly wasn't expecting anyone in Texas to know who I am or what my podcast was. Um, so I can kind of understand being like, wait, you what? Yeah, that's so awesome. <laughs> right, yeah. I, being recognized. I used to have a significant following on Tumblr. I mean, I still do, but people are just inactive on Tumblr a lot now. Um, yeah. But when I was working at Disney World, there were times where people would come up to me and they'd say, are you Drew from Tumblr? And they would like take pictures with me and stuff. And it is bizarre. <laughs> it's it a is weird. I had one girl that recognized my voice. Like she overheard me wow. talking to someone else and she was like, you sound just like that girl from this podcast I listened to. And I was like, well, if it's Prince Guy Fan Pod. <laughs> oh, that's so cool. <laughs> I have never in my life been well known enough to have a story to offer uh, in one year i want you her. to come back and tell me if yeah. that has changed oh that would be so cool okay uh, yeah you've never been recognized after like a play cassie 
Well, I mean, yes, but that's like that's small. Yeah, time. but still, I mean, uh, we we grew up doing theater together, Bethany. That's how we we met, and uh, yeah, I would be at like the store with my mom after a show or something, and people would be like, "Oh, were you in the Music Man this past week?" And I'd be like, "Uh, yeah, that was me." <laughs> what I get, what I actually get a lot is, um, so I live in the same town where I went to college and my grandparents lived here for like 50 years. And so they're like staples of the town. And my parents have also, when my mom retired, uh, she and my dad moved up here. This was like eight years ago. And what I get all the time is, are you Keith and Wendy? That's that's how I get recognized, like by my family members. We get that when we go back home, just because our last name is Finger, and it's not like you oh. know a lot of people with that yeah, name. So like, someone will see our name, they'll be like, "Are you Alan and Gisette's daughter?" Like daughter, and I'm like, "I'm the daughter-in-law," but yes, <laughs> yeah. But yes, this Cinder gets recognized by this lady in the shop. Yeah, and she's so sweet about it. She calls her brave and beautiful. Mm. Which Cinder doesn't believe. She's she doesn't believe so much that she could be beautiful that she waits for the lie detector to go off. Yeah. She can't comprehend that someone would call her beautiful. She can figure out the brave, but like it, she can't wrap her brain around being beautiful. I have a note like when I from when I was rereading this about how this kind of really highlights the way that she has internalized mm. what I call cyberphobia. Mm-hmm. Because we see it like consistently throughout the series. And, um, like, she's constantly expecting to be treated like a secondary citizen Mm -hmm. because she has been treated that way for so much of her life. But, like, even in her interactions with Kai, I don't think this is a spoiler because I think it's – I know it gets brought up more in the future, but I think in the past we've also encountered, like, her reaction to Kai being, like, if I tell him I'm a cyborg, he'll be horrified. Yeah. And, like, that's her primary concern, especially early on. It's, like, if he knows that I'm a cyborg, he'll think this about me. Mm. And later on, it gets, like, added to the lunar aspect of who she is. But she really has internalized that message of you are worth less because you are a cyborg and you're not – you can't ever be considered beautiful because you can't cry. You've got machinery inside of you. You're othered. Mm. And it's really interesting to see how that comes out. I would say the other perspective of that, too, is in Cinder's entire life, how often do you think someone has complimented her at all? Oh, my gosh. Yeah. She has a family other than Peony who didn't want or love or care about her. Her only friend is an an android. Mm -hmm. So how often do you think Cinder has been told you're beautiful? Or even just like a, hey, you look nice today kind of thing. I don't yeah. think it's happened, I would say, at all. Unless yeah. Peony did it when they were younger. And I think that might be part of the reason she gravitates towards like being a mechanic. Because when you're a mechanic, you can be scruffy. Mm-hmm. You don't have to look nice. Mm. You can be kind of thrown together if you've got grease or dirt on you. It's not an expectation that you would walk into that job yeah. with makeup and high heels and earrings. And, you know, yeah. if, 
if you walk around, like you said, greasy and, and a little messed up, it's like, well, you're a mechanic. And that's even what she says when she gets to the ball. He's like, is that grease on the it's gloves? My, it's my favorite She's line like, from I'm that a moment. mechanic. I'm a mechanic. It's, it's yeah. baked into her identity, this idea of, no, I'm dirty and I'm greasy and I'm gritty. Yeah. You know, yeah. beautiful is not a word that she probably has ever heard being directed toward her. I agree. And it's probably not a word she's ever thought about for herself either. Mm. Yeah. You know, not to be like vain, but I'm sure all of us have had days where it's like, man, I'm having a good hair day. I look nice today. Yeah. I don't, I don't think Cinder's ever had that experience. Yeah. Yeah. You're probably right. But I think this is such a really great, like real life kind of parallel in a way because of the beauty standards that we have. Like how many people who read this series have ever felt marginalized in some way because of some aspect of their appearance, you know, being overweight Mm -hmm. or being like having some kind of physical Mm -hmm. deformity or like a birthmark or something like that. Like how many people are going to read this and relate to like, if somebody called you beautiful, would you believe them? Yeah, I definitely relate to that myself. I grew up um, very thin And that did not carry into adulthood. And it's caused a lot of like insecurity and and body dysmorphia issues. And so I definitely get that because every once in a while, someone will say how tiny I am. And I'm like, oh, they're talking about me being short. Because I I got to a point where I was used to that being like, I'm thin. And so like now, not that people should. And if you're listening, don't use this word. But I've been called chubby to my face before. And that was a very new experience for me as I got older, because when I was younger, it was always, you know, like you should eat more kind of, kind of thing. Um, Mm. And I think that as, as humans, we all have something that we're insecure about, like you said, with birthmarks or or being overweight or something. And I think that with Cinder, it's not that she has something like one individualized thing to be insecure about. It's just that she is overall insecure about, or maybe ambivalent about pretty much everything involving her appearance. Yeah. I imagine she like actively does not think about her appearance. Mm -hmm. You know, I imagine that she, she allows herself to be enveloped in this idea uh, and this identity as a mechanic to the point where she like, uh, she doesn't think about whether she's pretty or not. She just puts her hair up in her messy ponytail and puts on her cargo pants and goes about her day and, and doesn't allow herself to even think really about her appearance because I don't think she really talks about it a whole lot. Um, so when it's brought to her attention, it would feel jarring. I think there's also a good message there too Mm -hmm. about like, okay, yeah, she's insecure and she doesn't believe that people would find her beautiful but there's a very real level of acceptance there. I'm not saying that there should be, you know, like I think that she should be able to find the beauty that she has within, but it's very hard to accept yourself for who you are and what you look like. It's something most people struggle with all the time, you know, maybe on a daily basis, maybe on a rare basis, but I think we've all been there. And so I think that speaks to itself that she's sort of accepted herself for who she is. And so she doesn't think about what she looks like anymore. Yeah. I also think that this woman is not just talking about her physical beauty. She's talking about yeah. her beauty as, you know, her inner beauty, her beauty as an, an icon of what she represents, you know, 
Um, yeah. The embodiment that she has. Yeah. Yeah. Because now people, now people are, are idolizing her for, for what she's doing. Yeah. She's an important figure. And this is kind of the first time or one of the first times that she's like interacting with someone who is seeing her in this way. And it's a stranger. Mm-hmm. This isn't Chang Sasha at the market who won't let her son go anywhere near her. This isn't the prince soon to be emperor where she's trying to hide her cyborg parts. This is a stranger who simply knows of her because she challenged the queen on national television. That's like the only reason this woman even knows who she is. Yeah. And then I love, we have Jason coming in, like interrupting this moment completely. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's great. Fawn over Cinder later. We have things. That we need <laughs> <Yeah>. to <laughs> like he does not give a fuck about no, anything. And he's wearing his guard uniform again. So he's basically got his, I'm a lunar guard tattoo slapped across his forehead now. Yeah. Right. We get a lot of interesting information here that I'm not going to go over every single tiny detail because it's kind of an overall thing that we're going to discuss. Her son was supposed to be a lunar guard, Uh but instead he killed himself and then his father was also killed as punishment. Yeah. There's a really fascinating, I'm going to talk about this later because this is what hit me like going over this chapter, but there's this fascinating disconnect in ideology between the two of them because she holds her son up as like this is the best thing he could have done and he had all this honor and jason's response is he must not have loved you very much which implies that jason loved his family so much that he was willing to become a guard against his better judgment or preference yeah Yeah. this conversation kind of culminates in in the line of that you know, Jason was brave to join and this woman's son was brave not to join. And it's just, you know, uh, the right thing to do can be very different depending on your circumstances. And there's no like right or wrong way to do the right thing. Sometimes it is going to be um, different, you know? Yeah. Just that we know that Jason is protecting someone. He he talks about how he is he's loyal to his princess, and so he, there's something that he's living for, you know. Mm-hmm. And he, he he needed to stick around for that. Yeah, he does have something to be protective of. And mm-hmm. what I think is really interesting is that J- Jacin goes, "Oh yeah, I'll ask her what happened next." And Cinder was like, "Wait, did something happen?" And she says, "Of course." Yeah. As in, this is totally acceptable and expected. You can't just turn down this job without having severe consequences. Like, of course something happened because my son didn't want to be a guard. Yeah. I just think what's what's really important here to, to take into consideration is this is a look inside the culture of Luna. Right? Like, we as the reader have seen that Lavana is obviously a bitch. And her people are really fucked up. But now we're seeing a perspective of it where there are lunars who suffer from it as well. Other than just shells. Like there are everyday lunars that suffer from being a part of this culture. Yeah, we've spent so much of this series hearing about Mm -hmm. uh, lunars as a whole as being dangerous to Earth. 
And this is where we're finally starting to see it's not leaders as a whole. It's the small handful that are in charge, which is so often how it happens. Um, I just finished directing a show about the Holocaust as a weird side tangent, but it's it's a similar. No, I'm Romanian and Jewish, so we talk yeah. about the Holocaust all the time. On yeah, the I show. just finished directing a show about the Holocaust, and it's it's a similar sort of idea there. Like, it's not that Germany as a whole was dangerous to the mm-hmm. rest of the world. It's about these small handful of people who were in charge, and everyday Germans were also marginalized. Being mistreated and abused and persecuted and marginalized. And so it's, it's really important to look at everything in, in that larger context, that larger aspect, like, yes, a small handful of the elite lunars of the court are the ones glamoring everybody and, you know, throwing these parties and Levana's lackeys, but the everyday lunars are in just as much danger from their ruler as the Irvins are. And I think it's fascinating to watch the characters learn that as well. And to watch Kai learn that as well, especially earlier on in the series when he's like, there's no lunars mm. in the Eastern Commonwealth. That's like this huge thing, right? Cause Cinder says the same thing. She's <laughs> like, there are no lunars on earth. And Dr. Yeah. Erlon is just like, okay, you, you sweet, naive little thing. You <laughs> exactly. But it is interesting to think about it. It is interesting because we, we've we been told, we as the reader have been told, like, Lunars are, I believe the word that Cinder used was savages. And what we've seen of Lunars is that they are kind of savages. They have infanticide laws. She, I mean, Lavana literally almost made a woman stab her own eye out just to prove a point. Um, yeah. So we've seen that they're not good people. They're not kind people. They don't, they haven't given us any reason to, to like or trust them. And now we're meeting an entire town that hated Lavana and Luna so much that they risked everything to escape and live on earth. Right. And it's this really important reminder that Luna is more than its queen and thaumaturgist. Yes, yes. And it's more than what we as the reader have seen. We're getting that perspective now. Cinder's getting that perspective. This is one of her people. This is someone that she, in theory, if she if she succeeds, will be the leader of. This is the person she'd be responsible for. And I think that's really Jason's role in the story in a lot of ways is to be there to talk mm. about like what is it like to be an everyday lunar. And, mm-hmm. and what does that mean for what Cinder's trying to do? Yeah. And, and Wolf to a certain extent. And they've well. been affected in very yes. different ways, yes. Jason and Wolf. Yeah. Yeah. And Jason says that later on yeah. too, like that, you know, it's the same as with his, with her friend, mm-hmm. they show certain aptitudes and that's why they get picked for certain jobs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love his joke about, like, my pretty face is why I got chosen as a guard. <laughs> I want to point out, too, that the woman says to Cinder, I hope you kill her. <laughs> not I hope you overthrow her. Not yeah. I hope you can usurp her. I hope you kill her. Yeah, yeah that's intense. It's very intense. Yeah. Jacin comes back. He says he can't find stuff. She takes over. And 
Cinder lets just said no. She's like, I never realized that was a mandatory position. And he says he wanted to be a doctor, mm-hmm. but the lie detector doesn't go off. Jacin wanted to be a doctor. Yeah. He has terrible bedside manner. <laughs> <laughs> if he's going to be a doctor. If he'd been able to choose his life, I think he would have grown into a different person. I think yeah. part yeah. of his stony exterior and part of his gruffness is, as he says in this chapter, uh, it's a protective element. Like he's learned self-preservation. He's learned how to keep his mind blank. Yep. He's learned how to hide what he's really thinking and what he's really feeling. But having to hide that and being forced into living a kind of lie, it's like, it's going to take a toll on you when you can't be freely who you are. It affects the way that you interact with everybody around you. And so I think it's it's fascinating to think of what might have been if Jason had been free to make the choices for his life for himself. You know, what, how would he be different as a person? I think also we can compare this to our own society, right? Like we all wear different faces mm. at our, at our, you know, we talked a little bit before about how being a librarian means you don't really get to have an opinion when you're at work. But obviously when you're not there, you can say and do things. And so that's a face that you wear. Um, if you're around children, you might not make as crude jokes or commentary. That's a face that you wear. The internet and social media alone is a personification of what people want the world to see about them and not what there actually is about them. Um, and so that speaks to that, too, that we all have different aspects of ourselves that we share with different people. Yeah. Well said. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Thanks. Jacinth starts to tell her a little bit about being a guard. He makes that joke about having a pretty face, but what he really wants to know is how did she get away with hiding her gift? Because even he thought she was earthen, and then it was almost blinding. Mm. Yeah. And that's interesting because that's kind of what everybody's been saying, right? That that it seemed like like it was unexpected. Like all of a sudden she went from being like this random person to holy crap, she's definitely lunar. And so as it turns out, Jacin actually does get really interested in something for two seconds. <laughs> He wants to know what this chip thing is that mm-hmm. means that she can hide being a lunar. He's very interested in that. She says that it kept her from using her gift in the first place, but it also protected her from the side effects because there's side effects. If you don't use your gift, mm-hmm. it starts to internalize like what's been happening to Dr. Erland, And then you have hallucinations. Yeah. Jason is very interested in in this device, whether there's more of them. Cinder thinks there may be blueprints somewhere, but, um, mm-hmm. and, you know, I mean, you, you have a note here, an invention like that could change everything. Um, and it it, it's true. The implications of, of what that would mean for the relationship between Earth and Luna are, you know, vast. And, you know, even just the relationship between Lunars and each other, uh, and and mm-hmm. lunars and shells in general, it really would change everything. And the main reason that people are hesitant to go through the links of creating allyships with Luna is because they're untrustworthy, because Lavana is a, a well-known tyrant, um, and because these these capabilities that they have make them, to a certain extent, undefeatable. Right. So, 
having this kind of uh, protective measure for everyday citizens would make it much easier to be like, yeah, sure, it's okay if they come down here because they won't be able to manipulate me. Right. I can't even imagine living in a world like that where you just, you never know what is the truth. Yeah. I think the main thing that would be hard is like, how do you trust who a person is? Like, you know how in movies and TV shows, they'll sometimes have like a twin and it's like, how do I know which one is the real you? Like, that is how I would feel all the time. I I would need, I would need code words and stuff to make sure I'm actually talking to my husband. Yeah. I'm rewatching the good place right now. And there was an episode (laughs) last night. There were the episode I watched had, had that element uh, incorporated. I have no idea what I would ask my husband to prove that, that he's my husband. Oh, that's a good question. Well, I met him when I was 15. So it's not like we don't know each other very well. It's just like off the top of my head. I'm like, I don't know what I would ask you that other people wouldn't also be able to be let to know, you know? Yeah. Well, and you, you can't tell us now because then we would know. Exactly. Yeah. And then you guys would lunar me. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) I have that power. (laughs) Yes, sure. (laughs) So the lady comes back. She gives all the supplies. She refuses payment, but Mm -hmm. she does want a picture for her (sighs) net feed. This this moment is like it's sweet and sad and uncomfortable. Like Cinder's a wanted fugitive. She can't be taking pictures with her fans, but it's also like, it's such a simple ask that it's, it's like so hard to say no. Yeah. And this is actually like what I said was my favorite quote from the chapter um, is when Jason says, not doing pictures these days have very lunar of you. And Cinder's response is very wanted criminal of me too. It is because she can't just have her, her picture on somebody's newsfeed, like, yeah. look who I saw in Africa today. <laughs> it's like, well, guess where we're all going. Yeah. And it's, it's, it feeds into really what this chapter kind of overall was about for me, which is about this perception of reality versus reality itself. Uh, we get a lot of different examples of that kind of theme playing out. We get it with Jason's role in the story. We get it with Cinder responding to I'm not beautiful. Um, but other people see her that way. Um, Jason's reaction to being called up to be a guard versus this woman's son. And then here at the end with uh, Lunar versus Fugitive. Like, yeah, one explanation mm. of I don't want my picture taken could be because I'm Lunar and my glamour won't show through and you'll be seeing me as I really am. But it's not that at all. It's I'm yeah. a wanted criminal and yeah. I can't have my picture like on the internet telling people where I am. And so it, it makes me laugh because I love Cinder's sass through the whole story. I love her like dry sarcasm. And this is one of these great examples of it. And I can just like see the glare, like the side eye that she gives Jason before she says it. (laughs) I love it. Because also it's kind of like, duh. Yeah. It's like, (laughs) dude. Not to be like a jerk to this lady or even to Jacin, but like, duh, she can't just post a picture on the internet of her face. Yeah. <laughs> she's literally trying to, she's literally evading capture. Like one of the reasons that you're so impressed by her yeah. is because she's evaded capture. Maybe don't give her away. Yeah. So that's kind of where the chapter ends. 
What were your chapter titles for this week? Uh, mine was Beneath the Surface by Demons of Ruby May. Um, I just felt like there was a lot of discussion in this chapter about um, a- appearances and who Jason is under the surface, who Cinder is under the surface. Um, my quote that I chose will relate to this as well, but the idea of um, her versus Lavana and um, and her her surprise at being called beautiful because she's she's not used to that. So just the idea of surfaces was standing out to me. Who we are underneath. That's a good one. I haven't I haven't heard that song, so I had to look it up when you when you mentioned mm. it, and I agree it does fit well. Cassie, what about you? One of the things that you have to know about me is that I don't <laughs> do music much. Um, my father, I love him to death, is something of a Luddite. And so, like, the only music I really listened to growing up was classical music from NPR and, like, musical soundtracks to the extent that my husband plays a game in the car with me when we're driving places and the radio is playing and a song will come on and he goes, okay, who sings this and what's the title of the song? And I can almost always recognize Michael Jackson after five years of marriage. Um, But like (laughs) when someone's like, what song title, like what song? I don't know any, I'm really bad at this game. Um, and so I, I purposely <laughs> was like, I'm going to pull all mine from musicals because I'm going to be that kind of a nerd. And <laughs> no, I, I also grew up on musical theater. I fully intended on picking musical theater songs as well, but I just couldn't find any that like really spoke to me. So I searched <laughs> high and low for, for, for the right uh, songs. But the one that I went with was You Ought to Be in Pictures, which is from the Zigfield Follies. I like that choice. Just because... They talk a lot about, like, the lunar image in this and the whole, like, celebrity kind of, you know, take a photo with me. And she should be, like, she should be held up as an example to kind of spark this revolution. But she can't because she has to be under the radar at this point. But she also isn't ready to take that step yet. Uh, She hasn't figured out, like, what's supposed to come next. Um so that was that was my choice. That was a good one too. So I am notorious for pop music. <laughs> the opposite. My listeners know that I adore Taylor Swift. Yes. So <laughs> I chose "Looking for Some Real Friends" by Camila Cabello, which is a very good song. I, I feel like what we've learned in this chapter about lunars is that they don't have anyone they can trust either. Mm. And that it's very hard for them to find companionship on Luna as well. Some of the lyrics in this song that I think speak to that are, I'm looking for some real friends. All they ever do is let me down. Every time I let somebody in, then I find out what they're all about. And I feel like what we learned from this shopkeeper is that, you know, life on Luna is is just as bad as it is for everybody else. You're looking for a real person that you can connect with and you can you know, have that companionship with, and it's not available to you. What we learned from Jacin is that you don't even get to be yourself even when you want to be. So you can't find a real friend because you can't be 
genuine and authentic to yourself. And what we learned from Cinder is that she's never really had that kind of friendship in, in the first place other than Aiko and, and Peony. And we never really got to see the relationship with Peony develop because she died so early in the story. Yeah. And so that, that song I thought just really spoke to the fact of like when you're trying to find real people to connect with, and, uh, you know, sometimes in life, I feel like that's not always as easy as it is when you're younger, um, especially as an adult that moves around a lot. It's very difficult for Ugh, me to make friends. Oh, my gosh. So, Bethany, I moved to Las Vegas in February. In February. And, in February. and then the country shut down in March. <laughs> oh, no. So I hear you. Yeah. It, making friends as an adult is hard. I love this this choice. That's, uh, you know, it it's hard to really sit back and imagine lunar life, you know? And I think that friendship in general, and if anything, what I've learned from this podcast is that internet friendships mean so much more to me than I ever could have thought they would. Mm, mm -hmm. So let's talk about your chapter quotes for this. Cassie, I know you talked about yours a little, was there anything else you wanted to say about it? No, I I think I covered most of it. Um, I love it because it shows Cinder's, like personality kind of reasserting itself because she spends a lot of this chapter like kind of uncertain and questioning like there's a moment where she looks in the mirror and is comforted by her reflection because she's still just her yeah and so this quote to me is kind of like okay there's cinder again like back on that confident footing kind of making a snarky comment um and it just it always makes me laugh that quote at the end of this chapter like every time i read it i smile yeah. That's a good one. Drew, you had a bit longer of a Yeah, quote mine's us. a little long here. I'll, I'll read it. I'll try to make it quick. So uh, <laughs> the quote is, she tried to imagine what it would be like to see herself as she saw Levana, frighten- frighteningly gorgeous and powerful, but it was impossible with her reflection staring back at her. That was why Levana despised mirrors so much, but Cinder found her reflection almost comforting. The shopkeeper called her brave and beautiful, Jason called her blinding. It was kind of nice to know that they were both wrong. She was still just Cinder. I I love this for many, many reasons. Part of it is the alliteration of brave and beautiful and blinding. Um, but mostly it's because I love when a story sets up the protagonist and the antagonist as the same kind of person starting from the same place, given the same choice or the same power or something similar, but they go off in two different directions. And that's why they are against one another. And I think this passage really frames Cinder and Lavana in that way, where they, they both have this power, they both have this glamour, but Lavana, you know, she despises mirrors because it shows her who she truly is. Cinder finds the mirror comforting for the same reason, because it shows her who she truly is. And I think that is just like brilliant. I agree. And that was exactly why I also chose my quote, which was true to form. The mirror showed her just as she had always Mm. been plain, dirty, a cyborg. And it's, it's the same thing. It's that mirror that's supposed to be so terrifying for lunars that's supposed to be this big superstition actually gives Cinder, it grounds her, it reminds her of who she is because 
she's basically been on this weird identity search ever since she found out she was Lunar, let alone the Lost Princess and now a fugitive. Um, and so I, I think being able to look in the mirror and see who she really is, it's it's this moment of like, no, I'm still me. Yeah. I have these people think I'm brave. These people think I'm beautiful. They put these high expectations on me, but I am still me. Yeah. And I, I just really like that moment. Th- that really ties back to why I chose my title as well, Beneath the Surface, because Cinder and Lavana both come down to if when you boil them down it's all about what's beneath the surface for both of them absolutely and and again like we talked about the there's the person that you are and the person that you show to other people mm-hmm. and cinder cinder who she is and who she shows to other people are the same thing but we don't know if that's lavana or not yeah yeah Hi, this is Leah Stuhler, creator and host of YA Book Chat Podcast. If you love reading young adult books and chatting about them with your friends, then head on over to my podcast and take a listen. Each episode, my guests and I chat about a different YA book. We start spoiler-free and then head into our spoiler section where we dive into the mysteries of each book. And we do it with laughs and fun along the way. You can listen to YA Book Chat on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, and wherever you get your podcast. And now back to the show. So now we're going to talk about chapter 26, which isn't very long, Mm -hmm. but we get to see Scarlet and we have not spent a lot of time with her in this book at all. Uh, We saw her in the beginning, her and Wolf were being cute, right? Yes. (laughs) Uh, Then we saw her get captured and now we're seeing her arrive on Luna with Sybil. Is this only um, the third Scarlet chapter? Yeah. Wow. wow. I, I yeah, thought there was more. Got, but... She got captured really early in this book. Yeah. yeah. So we saw her when they met Crest, but then right after that, she was captured. And then we didn't see her at all until we got the got a chapter of her a couple chapters ago where it was her being glamored and piloting the ship. Yeah. And I went on a tangent about writing in second person. <laughs> but yeah, we haven't seen Scarlet very much in this book at all, uh, which is a really big shift because the entire second book mm-hmm. is Scarlet's story. Mm-hmm. So it's very interesting to to go from pretty much everything is about Scarlet to she's kind of in the background altogether now. It's like, oh, wait, what was happening to Scarlet again? Yeah, my coworker, uh, one of my good friends, who works with me in the children's department at the, at our library, uh, still has not finished the Lunar Chronicles. Ooh, for shame. Which I'm on her all the time about. <laughs> and she goes, well, listen, I love Cinder. And then I picked up Scarlet and I don't like Scarlet. And the whole book's about Scarlet. And I got bored. You know what? We're all, and I'm like, we all have to be wrong sometimes. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> If nothing else, like Cress is amazing. So just push yeah. through Scarlet and get to Cress because Cress is wonderful. And I keep telling her, like, Cinder comes back. Like, yeah. Cinder, Cinder is still a character in Scarlet. You just have to get back to her. Yeah, she's actually back really fast. Yes. Yeah. Reading it the first time, I was like, oh my God, who is Scarlet? Where's Cinder? This is taking forever. Doing it on the podcast, I was like, Oh, it's only like 30 pages. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I have, I love 
all female characters pretty much. Um, but I have two major like w- types of characters when it comes to women that I, I really, really love. And one is like the really uh, like feminine, pretty in pink, like type of character who there is one in the Lunar Chronicles, but you have not met her yet, but she is my number one. <laughs> but uh, my other type is like um, a really feisty, fiery uh, woman. And so Scarlet really speaks to me. I love Scarlet. So my husband just listened. So my husband's listened to the audiobooks, but he's not a big reader. And he just listened to Scarlet, mm-hmm. the book, when we drove to and from my father's house this last weekend. Um, he does not like Scarlet. Oh. He thinks that she's, uh, he doesn't think that she has any critical thinking skills whatsoever. Oh my gosh, no. <laughs> I love he, he absolutely loved Cinder. He thought she was so genuine and so authentic. And that even though she kind of went in with haphazard plans, she always had a basic idea of like, this is what I have to do. This is what I have to accomplish. And he felt like Scarlet was just like, save grandma. Wait, you need a plan. No, save grandma. That is the plan. Yes. We'll figure it out as we no, go. I, like- I love an <laughs> impulsive reactionary girl, girl character. I love it. I love it. I think she's awesome. Uh, I think when he finishes listening to the entire series, I think that I should say, I hope that Cress will be his favorite because I am Cress. I am a hopeless Uh-oh. romantic. I want everyone to be my friend. I just want to play games and, and go shopping with Aiko. Um, so I, I'm hoping that when he finishes the series, Cress will be his favorite so I can have like comfort in my marriage but i do think that cinder will always be his favorite i think he just loves how authentic she yeah. is um it's the same reason like if you've ever watched full house he loves kimmy what yeah okay yep. or fuller house when they're older but like so many of them you know they're so pretty especially stephanie sorry to have favorites right <laughs> but he loves kimmy he thinks kimmy is the best out of all wow. of them and to him it's because she's so genuine. She is herself 100% of the time. She doesn't care about the, the consequences. She doesn't put on a show. She is just like, hey, I'm here and I'm weird. Like, And so he just loves the, the authenticness of that person. Okay, okay. Well, I would say Scarlet falls into that category. But I can see why, <laughs> why Cinder would be his favorite. Yeah, yeah. And I think he'll like Scarlet more in the future. But mm. like... His main thing is just, I think, her just, like, underestimating everything in that book. And then just walking into the, which we talked about a lot on the episode, so I won't go too crazy with it. But he was, he was like, did she for real just walk in the opera house and go, hello, you have visitors? Like, they did no surveillance. They did no scouting. They just walked in there and yelled, hello. Listen, like, she is <laughs> bold and impulsive, and she she's just going for it. And that's honestly one of the things I really like about this chapter in the story is that nobody can say that Scarlet doesn't have a strong mind mm, and isn't right. strong will. Mm-hmm. And right. this really shows us that like when it comes to the lunar gift, that doesn't matter. Like it doesn't matter how strong will you are or how strong your mind is, like lunars can still 100% control you and you don't really have a way to fight back. Absolutely. Leah and I talked about that in the chapter a few chapters ago when we got that perspective of Scarlet flying the ship and how Sybil had to control her. And we talked about how there 
there was no way she was going to be able to get Scarlet to fly that ship unless she controlled her because she could have threatened Scarlet with almost anything mm-hmm. and it wouldn't have mattered. She could have held a gun to her head and Scarlet would be like, shoot me. I'm not flying you. Anymore. Oh yeah. They need that gift to be able to, to, to do anything really. I call it a gift. Cause that's what they call it. Yeah. Like, yeah. You know, it's some, it's something, but but we are in Scarlet's perspective, and it's a really interesting situation. There's a lot of, like, detail that we don't necessarily need to go over. Basically, they're on Luna, right? Yeah. And she kind of comes out of her trance and realizes she's not on her farm. Sybil is really upset. <laughs> Scarlet kind of has a headache, which might be an afterfact of the the glamour but i also think it could just be that she was crying like i I know crying gives me a headache so yeah same Mm. well and she's also been flying for a long time yeah like she talks about how her jaw aches like she's been grinding her teeth like she got dry mouth Mm -hmm. yeah like yeah i know i get when i'm in the car for too long Mm -hmm. Yeah, I take uh, Dramamine if we're going to be in the car for a day because I get I get motion sickness. That's also why I went all the way to Harry Potter World and didn't get on a single ride. <laughs> <gasps> no! California or Florida? Also, I've been to both. Oh my gosh. Um, but they also have, I have seizures and they have strobe oh, yes. about strobe effects. Yes, yeah. So like even the Harry Potter, the Hogwarts ride, like I walked through so I could see the castle and then I just waited for my sisters to get done. I think I've ridden that ride over a hundred times. <laughs> it was my favorite that when we were sense. there, but I've only been yeah. there once. Um, my sister Lindsay loves rides and so does my husband. So when we all went to the park together, it was like my sister Samantha and I were walking around looking at everything from the books and my sister Lindsay and my husband were like constantly going on rides. The rides are so fun, but the the land is beautiful as well. There's so much detail. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. But I think it's interesting that, that they do, that Marissa goes into detail. She's not like, hey, we're on Luna. She describes what Scarlet is going through. Mm. And I think that's really interesting because now I'm not just scared on Scarlet's behalf, but I'm I'm with her. She has a headache. She has dry mouth. Nausea is horrible. Anyone who's ever been nauseous, it's horrible. Yeah. It's one of the worst things. Well, I was just going to ask, is this the first time we're seeing Luna from, like, is this the first time we're actually on Luna as the reader? Yeah. Yeah. And so I think it's really cool that we are seeing it from our only true earthen character's perspective. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, I guess Kai is as well, but we won't see Kai. He's not, you know, anywhere near getting to Luna, right? Uh, so I, I think it's cool that we see this from her perspective. Yeah. In theory, you can make the argument that Scarlet is like one fourth. Oh, yeah. There. I guess that is true. But. But that's really reaching. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> what what I think is interesting about it is that she doesn't even make that connection when mm. she's here. It's all about, you know, just trying to figure out what's going on. And it does take her a while to get out of this this trance and realize that she's not at home. It doesn't look right. It doesn't smell right. The floorboards are too clean. But it does take a little bit for her thoughts to completely clear up. In the last episode, Amanda and I talked about how 
or Leah and I talked about, I don't remember who was on that episode. I take it back. <laughs> it's too many episodes ago. I'm sorry. Uh, but we talked about how Sybil was employee of the month because she <laughs> gets <laughs> shot and she's, her first concern is like, I better call the boss and tell her that I lost the cyborg, not, not call a doctor and say, Hey, I've been shot. Sybil is still employee of the month. She gets to she gets to Luna and she's like, hurry up and stitch me. I got to go talk to the queen. I hate Sybil. Oh, I think we're supposed yeah. to. I, I, I hate her more than Lavana. Like, uh, there's just, uh, I cannot stand her. She's the worst. I hate her savior complex. Mm, yeah. Yeah. That she rescued all these shells that she yeah. rescued Cress that she raised Cress. I I hate that whole concept. It's like this extremely severe Stockholm syndrome that mm. Cress sees her as mistress. When she says mistress saved me, I just want to I just want to throw up. It's horrible. I mean that's very in keeping though for Rapunzel. Yeah, absolutely. Because like that is the Mother Gothel and Rapunzel relationship. Well, in Dame Gothel in the original, like that was her whole thing was that she wanted a child mm-hmm. and couldn't yeah. have a child. And so she kind of got one. We're not going to get into too much. Cause I, I spent time talking about the original Rapunzel way back when we started this book mm-hmm. and I've drawn comparisons here and there throughout the story, like Thorne losing his sight. But you know, when we're talking about Sybil, it, it's easy to think of her as just the Dame Gothel character, but she's also in so many ways a different different villains from different fairy tales as well, because she's basically Lavana's I, I don't want to say minion, because I yeah, crony yeah. minion, because she's basically her second hand. Yeah. Yes. Yes. I can't think of one an example, but I'll think of it as soon as we're done recording. Bellatrix um, Lestrange. <laughs> yeah, there you go. She's yeah, and she definitely worships Lavana, so mm-hmm. that fits. <laughs> um, so Sybil gets off the pod ship, and immediately she doesn't ask for a medic. She doesn't ask for a doctor. She doesn't say, "Hey, I've been shot." She says, "Use the shuttle's history to track the last location. Mm-hmm. See if it has any lingering connectivity." They have gone to Earth. You have to find her. Bitch was just shot. <laughs> like, she is bleeding out right now. And, she's and her first reaction orders. is, go find the cyborg. Yeah. <laughs> that is some dedication. Like, that's employee of the month right there. It is, but it's also important that, like, that's the expectation. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. if she had landed and she'd been like i need a doctor to stitch me up lavana would have you know come through and said okay why wasn't your first act yeah to send them get the cyborg so like she knows that that's what she has to do because that's the expectation and because what are the consequences if she doesn't react in that order yeah yeah yeah, because it doesn't matter how much Lavana has liked her or relied on her in the past. Like, if she makes too many missteps in a row, she'll be gone. Amory's right there. Like, yeah. And we saw in the chapter with Amory, um, which my lovely brother-in-law did a fantastic voice for. I do not have a deep enough voice to <laughs> do Amory's voice. Um, so thank you to my brother-in-law. But 
We saw in that chapter how amazing Amory is as a second in command. Mm. Hate him all you want, but he was quick on his feet when Kai confronted him with those ships. He had a reaction or he had a response for everything without having an emotional reaction of any kind. Um, And he even made Kai feel inferior in that conversation when Kai was the one who was supposed to be doing the interrogation. So these people that that Lavana relies on to to help her and her tyranny, um, they're not just well-trained, they're not just well-equipped, they are devoted. Or scared, I guess. Yeah. I think it's a combination of both because I feel like, especially with Sybil and Amory, they both 100% believe in what Lavana has done. Yeah. Like, they this is the right. This is what they deserve. This is what they're, they're you know, what they should be given. They should have control of earth. Um, and so it's very much like, yes, we believe in this cause 100%. So of course we're behind our queen. Yeah. And I talked about that a, a, a while back. I talked about the, the propaganda aspect of this world. And I had um, several fans who came to the call and I appreciate that because I said, you know, let's compare headlines after the wolf and attack. Earth's attack, it's going to be that we lost all these earthens, that this was an unjustified attack. Lavana's newspapers are going to say, you know, lunar victory. Yeah. So it's very important to look at things differently. And the the reality is that the way that we as the reader look at it, we have reader privilege, right? But we are also seeing things from the perspective of people who don't like lunars. Imagine reading this book from the perspective of someone who does worship Lavana and think of her as this, this level of perfection that's brought so much to her planet. I was just thinking it would be really interesting to have a story from Sybil's perspective to get mm-hmm. her like her story on how she came into this position and how she has bought into this, you know, story that Lavana has, has woven for herself. But it would be interesting to get all of this from Sybil's perspective too, because you know, that Sybil, we see in this chapter that Sybil is very injured and that her main concern is make me look presentable because I need to talk to the queen, Mm -hmm. not stitch me up because I don't want to (laughs) die. But thinking of it in, in Sybil's perspective is difficult because we're, we're as the reader, we're worried about Scarlet and we're kind of hoping Sybil does bleed out or get in trouble. Yeah. I'd be fine with that. Yeah. She's the worst. And it's really interesting that as soon as like she's, as soon as the ship lands and Sybil has these minions around her and she's like giving these orders, Scarlet kind of goes unnoticed. Yeah. She sort of fades into the background. She's actually able to like, I'm not going to say make an escape attempt because it doesn't get that far, but she tries. I mean, she she certainly tries. tries. She gets like a few steps before she's back under control. But I think it's really interesting with the lunar gift that they can control either the body or the mind. Or both. And sometimes both. But it's interesting to see, like, what gets used when and what requires more energy. Mm. And so before, like, Sybil definitely had control of her mind. And here, she just really takes control of her body. 
You know, what's also interesting, though, is that Sybil is extremely injured. She was shot in the abdomen. She's obviously been bleeding for a while. It says that she's pale, shaky, clammy. During all of that, she's still able to control Scarlet the entire time with what seems to be minimal effort, even to the point that now, even though Scarlet is somewhat out of her control, the second Scarlet tries to do anything, Sybil is still aware enough that she immediately takes control again. Yeah, I think it is a testament to Sybil's power. We're also told that Irvins are incredibly easy to control. Like there's no... yeah. There's no effort required of it at all. But I think you don't get to be the head thaumaturge without having an incredibly powerful gift. And a high skill set and everything. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And so they're asking, like, what's going to be done with this hostage? And Sybil says, give her to one of the families. Yeah, what the f*** does that mean? It's a terrifying sentence. Ugh. Give her to one of the fam- one of what families and give her in what context. I forgot about this. And it's without even knowing what it is, like that sentence is chilling. Mm-hmm. Well, and perhaps this is because I'm a girl, but I'm a girl and I'm a small girl. And mm. I know that I need to be afraid of, of scary men. And so my brain immediately goes to what context is she being given away? Is this like a trafficking situation? Yeah, that's that's what it sounds like. And it's like, you know, that she's going to going to be kept accessible because Sybil says, you know, the queen's going to want to be present when I mm-hmm. question the girl about what she knows. So it's like, OK, she's not being taken off to be killed. Mm. She has to still be able to be brought before the queen. But they're not sending her to a dungeon. They're not locking her in a jail cell. They're not say they're not like take her to Ward B. They're give her to one of the families. Give I mean, it's an interesting families. way yeah. to like to to keep her as a hostage. Yeah. And it's, I, it's, I wouldn't put it above Lavana to have a dungeon just for the aesthetic. Oh, um, <laughs> like moon I mean, if I were a queen, I would have a dungeon. That's just me. Like, Absolutely. just so I could say I had a dungeon. <laughs> yeah, but that is kind of where we leave the chapter. You know, Sybil goes to brief Lavana. She's in a clean shirt and she's been stitched up, and Scarlet gets taken away. Yeah. Yeah. I like the end of this chapter. Uh, So we just did at my library, we just finished our youth community reads, which is a yearly project we do where we invite an author to come visit and do sessions with us. And obviously this year it all had to be virtual, but we did some virtual chats and live streams with um, a middle grade author named Danka Meinhardt. And he actually did a writer's workshop with my writing group, which was really cool because that was a group of like five people like four kids and me and this like published author. And so he was talking about writing and giving writing advice. And one of the things he said that like really stuck out to me was you should never wrap everything up in a chapter. Right. Like mm. you, your reader should never feel like at the end of the chapter, Oh, okay. This is a good place to stop. Right. You know, you should always have your reader going, what's going to happen next. And I feel like Marissa Meyer does that really well, especially balancing as many voices as she does. That one chapter that we had a little while ago where it was like a crack of a gunshot 
literally, literally chapter uh, 23, the last line is the crack of the gunshot rang out across the desert. Tell me who stopped reading right there. I would <laughs> exactly. love to meet that person and ask them how they did it. And it's like, Scarlet is not the focus of the next chapter. No. Nope. Like we move on to somebody else. And so we're going to leave Scarlet being dragged away by the guards to some kind of fate with the families, whatever that means that we don't know. And, and I hate to be the one to <laughs> kill everybody's like vibe. We don't go back to Scarlet for a really long time. You guys ask if you knew when she comes back, I'm tribbling through. <laughs> <laughs> it's a, I know it's a while that's chapter 42, which is in, uh, oh, just yeah. page yep. 371. So still a while. Yeah. 150 pages from now. And then after that, we don't see her again um, until chapter 58. So uh, 42, 42, that is January 11th. So Okay, so two and a half months. Two and a half months. That's still a long time, though, yeah. to, not, to, to mm-hmm. not get. Especially because the last book, everything was Scarlet. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So. Wow. And it's. Whew. But that's how they keep you. That's how she keeps us interested. And she's very, very good at it. Yeah. By the time we get back to Scarlet's perspective, it'll be like, oh right, I was terrified. What was happening there? Yeah. Um. So let's talk about your song titles for this chapter. Ooh, I'm really proud of mine. So I chose. Okay. I chose "Red Light Lady" by Nazareth. Um. I wanted. I really wanted something with the word red in it because of Scarlet, but red light lady to me is, um, is Sybil and the idea of her stopping Scarlet, controlling Scarlet. Um, yeah, not that deep, but I liked it. (laughs) (laughs) They don't always have to be deep. Yeah. Sometimes they can be surface level. Right. Um, I chose The Witch's Lament from Into the Woods. My f- Not because the song has any bearing on anything, but because the title just kind of matches what's going on. Mm-hmm. Um, if you think about Sybil as being a witch, which she's referred to that way by Kai at several moments. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is where things have gone wrong for her. And so this is not the return to Lunar that she was supposed to have. She was supposed to capture Cinder at the satellite. Oh, and walk in as a hero. Yeah. Yeah. Bring yeah. her in triumphantly. Like, here is the cyborg girl. I've ended all of our problems. And instead, like, she's shot. She lost the cyborg. She lost her guard. She has this human hostage who Levon is going to see as next to worthless. Mm-hmm. And now she has to do, like, damage control. Absolutely. Because you know that she, you know that for a while there in Sybil's head, she was picturing fanfare and... Yeah, I'm going to be a hero, I'm going to get all these accolades, and instead it's like, nope, failed, Lavana does not like failure. Mm. And so how can I Uh. salvage this? And so that idea of lamenting, like, this is not how this was supposed to go. Mm -hmm. That's a good point. That's why I picked that one. So I chose Torpedo by Gillette Johnson, because I love that Scarlet tries. I love that she Mm -hmm. tries in her own small way to be rebellious. Um, and some of the lyrics are like, do your worst. I won't lay down in the road. I will not be taken down. I won't make it easy. 
And I feel like that's Scarlet. That's our girl. That's that's our Scarlet. She is not going to take this lying down. Oh yeah. Um, and and not that any of our other characters necessarily would, but if you're gonna capture one of our heroines, Scarlet couldn't could that's the toughest one you're gonna get. I love Scarlet so much. I I, I I love that she's the one captured. I think uh, I do miss her in this book, but um, I think she's the most interesting character to have in this situation just because she is so strong. I think she's the one that could survive it with the least amount of emotional damage. Yeah. Yeah. And psychological damage. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah. So what were your quotes from this chapter? Uh, Cassie, you go first on this one because okay. I'll explain why. <laughs> so <laughs> mine comes from a moment where everybody's ignored Scarlet or like not aware that she's there. And then when Sybil takes control of her again, um, everybody who's treating Sybil becomes aware of, oh, there's somebody else here. And so all of a sudden these glamours fall into place that weren't there for Scarlet a second before. And so there's one man in before who said he had been middle-aged and plain in every way. And now he was like impossibly handsome and young. And uh, Scarlet clenched her jaw and forced her brain to remember what he looked like before to not give any weight to his imposed glamour. It was only a small rebellion, but she embraced it with all the mental strength she had left. And that's, I love that quote because it's this idea of sometimes when you are in an impossible situation and you can't fight back, there's not really anything you can do. You don't have any power. The tiny things that you can do are what you're going to cling to because it's better to at least try something small than to give up. And this to me feels very much like Scarlet saying, I can't do anything really to fight back against this, but I can remember what you actually look like. I can remember that this is a lie and I cannot let what you're doing affect me in whatever small way I can. And to her testament, she's not. Like, she's not wallowing in self-pity. She's not going, woe is me. How is anybody ever going to find me? I'm going to die. She's she's trying her best to be as rebellious as possible in this impossible situation. And that's who Scarlet is. She is a rebel. She is that feisty, fiery character. Um, the reason I wanted you to go first is because I was so mad you took this quote because I think it's the <laughs> best quote. I think it's the... Can well, I you could have picked it. Ashley and I, uh, my former co-host, she and I used to do that all the time. We were oh, really? unintentionally, unintentionally, we would pick the same quote. Yeah, I would have Can I tell you, Drew, it if Cassie that had I, already. I like went in to do these and I'm like, I have to be so fast because if if Drew goes first, but like I have to get the things I'm going to do. Oh, that's so funny. There was like a competition uh, element of like getting our stuff in. Uh, so not fair. I was working. I didn't have the chance. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, so what was your second choice? My second choice uh, is is this sentence. Um, a faint light was. Sh- a faint light was glowing up from the ground so that the shadows of the pod ships stretched like birds of prey along the cavernous walls. And really, I just love that simile. Um, just the the comparison of the pod ships to birds of prey and the idea of um, the evil and the, the sinister nature of 
the world that Scarlet has just entered. And Marissa is is a perfectionist when it comes to imagery. She oh my really, gosh, yeah. she really gets imagery. Yeah, yeah, and the, yeah. this whole chapter as Scarlet is describing our first glimpse into the the world of Luna is really beautifully written. Absolutely. So my quote was, her mind stayed sharp this time, fully aware of how close she had come to getting inside that ship and making a mad dash for her safety. And at the same time, fully aware that she never had a chance. Mm. So heartbreaking. She is our girl. She is our triumphant rebel. And she tried so hard and she had this teeny tiny moment where she thought she was going to be able to get away. But part of her always knew that it wasn't, it wasn't going to work out for her that way. She just wanted to try. Yeah. I really think like this had to be Scarlet. No one else on earth put in this position would have been able to, you know, survive the way that she can. She's mm-hmm. so strong. And this, it had to be her. Um, I love her. Well, for example, like I said, with the wallowing and self-pity, not that necessarily I consider Cinder that type of person, but remember when she was in the jail cell, she mm-hmm. wasn't thinking, how could she get out? She wasn't thinking, you know, what could my life be like? She was like, yep, this is... She was resigned. She was resigned. Exactly. Yeah. Cress. I love Cress. Like I said, she's very much, I I relate to her character a lot on, in terms of like personality and emotions. Um, And that's how I know that in this situation, she wouldn't be rebellious. If anything, she would be apologizing to mistress trying Mm -hmm. to get a second chance. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that that makes her any weaker. I don't necessarily think, you know, I don't want it to be like, I'm saying that Cinder and Cress aren't as good as Scarlet or aren't as strong. Bravery and strength comes in very different forms and in very different people. Absolutely. But in terms of like who could handle the psychosis and emotional indeptitude of what is happening to Scarlet. And for all we know, what is about to happen to Scarlet, Scarlet, yeah. Scarlet can handle that. Yeah. I don't think Cinder and Crest necessarily could, but Scarlet can handle it and come out the other side. Yeah, Absolutely. That we won't find out for until January. Oh my gosh. <laughs> That's the insane part about, about doing one or two chapters at a time is that we have to wait so long. And I've had people before, they're like, why don't you do like 10 chapters? Because uh, we did two chapters and we're at two and a half hours. So <laughs> imagine how long my episodes would be if, if I tried to do time. 10 chapters. <laughs> or you'd lose a lot of beautiful detail that you're able to go into. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I like going into the detail. I like the being able to nitpick every tiny little thing and notice stuff that you don't notice before. Absolutely. So this week we had five Easter eggs and the bonus word hair appeared three times. Next week we're going to cover chapters 27 and 28. Where can everybody find you guys? Where can they find of, of slippers and spindles? I almost did it again. It's in alphabetical <laughs> order. Why can't I figure this out? <laughs> oh, that's so funny. Um, you can find us uh, in Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, anywhere that you listen to 
podcast. Um, you can just search of slippers and spindles will pop up pretty quickly. Um, we're on Instagram at of slippers and spindles, and we have a Facebook group as well. You just search of slippers and spindles on Facebook. And we're always talking about all the different fairy tale adaptations that we, that we're going through. And it's very pretty. I like your aesthetics. Oh, thank you. I love bright, pretty feminine colors like pink and blue yeah. and purple and everything pastel and rainbow. So I loved all the pink <laughs> oh stuff my gosh. you guys did and all the purple stuff. Thank you. I'm having so much fun with the, the Instagram. I'm going to do a different color for every fairy tale. So uh, I, I didn't decide it. that until after I had made Cinderella pink or I would have made Cinderella <laughs> blue, obviously. Blue. Yeah. So yeah. then I had to make Sleeping Beauty purple because I had already used pink. But I but like that. I after like this, uh, they'll correlate. Yeah. Yeah. I do Thank you. Thank yeah, you. Uh, so- I'll give you three guesses as to what color Rapunzel will be. And the first two guesses don't count. <laughs> the first two guesses don't count. Um, while pink and purple were already taken, I don't think blue works for Rapunzel. Maybe teal? No, she's going to be yellow. Yellow, duh. Yeah, she's got that golden hair. Sun and the golden hair. Golden I feel hair. really dumb yep. right now, y'all. No, no. I was trying to think no. of like clothing. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Rapunzel does wear green and teals a lot. So that's actually a good yeah. guess. Yeah. Yeah, so I was going for teal. My bad. <laughs> well, thank you guys so much for coming on. I hope that you had fun. Oh, absolutely. absolutely. Talking about my favorite book series. Right? <laughs> we go into crazy Not fun detail. At all, but... no. no, it's fun. But that's the point is details. <laughs> we go into some detail in ours, but we don't get to go quite this deep. So uh, this has yeah. been fun. Yeah, and, and that's part of the reason I wanted to do this podcast is because there wasn't one that went this in depth, and mm-hmm. I wanted to listen to one. Yeah, and that's that's why we started of slippers and spindles because I mm-hmm. was looking for a podcast that was talking about fairy tales the way that I would want to listen to them, and there's a few out there, but none that really address them the way that I I I wanted to hear, and so we said, let's just do it ourselves. Yeah, and you guys do a wonderful job on it. And, oh, thank you. You and too. And I feel very justified by your Ella Enchanted episode because <laughs> I did an Ella Enchanted episode for the for the Patreon, and I was like, "You guys, this movie doesn't hold up." Oh, and I felt like no. <laughs> I felt like people were. I, I know I had a couple of Patreon members that were like, "I loved Ella Enchanted," and I was like, "It's pretty people singing." <laughs> yeah and it so far drew and i have been pretty in agreement with the things that we've talked about i'm interested to see what happens when we get to something where we have like vastly different opinions on it mm. Ooh, i am too well, i feel what I love about disney's the little mermaid is gonna get there Ooh, yeah, that's my sister's favorite. Um, that was what was so great about my co-hosts, uh, and that's why I miss them so much, right? Becca and I are often on the same wavelength, but Ashley is very different. Ashley is Scarlet. Mm-hmm. Right? Oh, okay. Ashley is, she's feisty, she's fierce. Um, some of that is like she's a female in the military, right? So she has to have a tough persona. But I do think a lot of it is just her personality. And so she's constantly bringing new perspectives to things that I never would have thought of. And it's always just like blows my mind. And then I want to ask her like a million questions, what we're trying to record. Um, (laughs) (laughs) So, 
But I love that. I love getting to have different perspectives like my husband's because I never thought of of Scarlett as lacking critical thinking skills. If anything, <laughs> I was like, finally, someone sees the bigger picture. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Oh, I'm I'm really curious to see what happens when he gets to know Thorne a little better because I love Thorne and I have a feeling he is not going to like him. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so thank you guys very much for coming. This was a lot of fun. Yes. I look forward to seeing you again in uh, six months. <laughs> <laughs> Whenever March is. <laughs> Whenever March is, yeah. yeah. Thank you so much for having us. This was a blast. Yes, yeah, I love it really so great. much. And thank you for the for the shout out on your Cinder episode. I felt very special. Oh, yeah, of course. Uh, I had like just listened to uh, your interview with Marissa Meyer on, on The Happy Writer and discovered your podcast. So I was like, oh, my gosh, I have to I have to mention this. Yes. And I, I appreciate it. I hope I hope people heard it and they were like, oh, my God, that's. That is the main thing I get when people find out there's a Lunar Chronicles podcast. The like number one reaction is, I'm sorry, what? There's a podcast about that? Yeah. Like, <laughs> there's a podcast about everything. <laughs> I can tell you how many times I'm on Instagram and someone is like, this is my favorite series. And I'm like, have you listened to the podcast? And there's like, there's a podcast. Yes. <laughs> it's like, yeah, we're on episode 75. Like, you have a lot to catch up yeah. on. <laughs> There's plenty for you to listen to. Absolutely. You can binge it. Thank you very much for coming. Everyone, stay safe, keep reading, keep listening, and until next time, don't get glamour. The passages read for you today are from Crest by Marissa Meyer. This podcast is hosted and produced by Bethany Finger. Today's special guests were Drew and Cassie from Of Slippers and Spindles podcast. The intro-outro music was composed by Emma Pava, and the logo art was created by Angela Wong. Thank you for listening. You are getting sleepy. Your CPAP mask is clamped tightly to your face. You will not toss and turn through the whooshing. You will not throw the mask. It's not working, Harold. People who struggle with CPAP have partners who struggle too. Luckily, now there's Inspire. No mask, no hose, just sleep. When I snap my fingers, you will remember to visit InspireSleep.com. Inspire is not for everyone. Talk to your doctor to see if it's right for you and review important safety information at InspireSleep.com.